They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Yeah. I forgot to sing. Oh, what? You just you left me goes, you left me solo on that one, did you? I was, I was clicking around to, to press record on my side. And then, <laughs> and then you, you, your, your voice was so lovely. You were enjoying it so much. I was like, I don't want to ruin this moment. He's got this. I he doesn't think, need me. I think, I think you're being facetious about my voice. I don't <laughs> think you really mean it. I don't think I'm going to be auditioning for X Factor anytime soon. I mean, if ever there's a challenge, that is one I'd love to see. Oh, my God. That would be awful. <laughs> I'm terrible at singing. The thing is, I used to be really good at singing when I was when I was younger, and then um, and then puberty. my voice broke. Then puberty happened at, at eight, and uh, I I couldn't sing anymore. So the thing that I loved doing was That's stolen really away sad. from me. That's really did it break mid mid song <laughs> when you were doing a solo? <laughs> what it did it was I was. I was at an audition that really would have made me, <laughs> and it was halfway through was it. it I was the thinking, snowman. We're <laughs> walking in the air. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I would have been, I would have been at that rather than Alan Jones. And as I literally in mid-song, it happened. I hit puberty, Brutal. and and it and it collapsed, and it destroyed me. And that's why I'm so bitter and angry. <laughs> I've always wondered why, because there are those kind of puberty hit moments I've, I've ever wondered i've always wondered if that happens to people on like a first date because <laughs> <laughs> it would really change the course of that day wouldn't it if you're suddenly like oh i have these feelings and urges now oh boy anyway welcome to bad boy running listeners welcome, welcome to bad, bad boy running podcast where we're just talking puberty talking puberty well the thing is i um i i was a, a chorister as a, as a young boy as a young boy and i um I went to the senior school for, I like applied for a music scholarship to go to the senior school and they wanted me to sing in the choir because I've been head head of the choir at the junior school and it was What's really... The un- choir, the power that you must have. Honestly, that was, it, it was the bomb. I, you know, if you were... Uh, was it? I don't know. Does that mean, did it mean that you were teacher's pet, which in that, <laughs> in that environment, I'm not sure is a good thing? You got to go on school trips and you get cake and stuff. That was, it was a real... Real differentiator. Even the cool kids were in the quiet. Real it really was. I mean, there was no downside, none whatsoever. And um, and my poor mother, it meant you didn't have to do letter writing on a Sunday because instead you were um, you were practicing with the choir. So mum never letter got any letters. Writing. Letter writing. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more I. The more I look, think back about my childhood, it really is. Um... <laughs> letter writing? What, writing to your parents? Yeah, you'd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How do we... It's so... normal. It's just what happens at boarding school. I don't know, because I was at just at this one. So I think they're all quite different and all quite bizarre. But like Sundays, depending on the time of year, you'd have to collect wood for the bonk. <laughs> Is that a euphemism, or did you? Have... <laughs> yeah, the teachers are all hiding in the in the forest, <laughs> and um, and then you'd have to you'd have your breakfast, and then you'd do letter writing, or you'd have to write a letter home to your parents. Um, and did they all tell you 
We are not getting beaten. <laughs> Everything is all the all the letters are exactly the same. I am doing this letter of my own desire. I'd rather there are definitely no paedophiles in our school. <laughs> <laughs> so we we had all of that, and um, if you were in the choir, you could go and just sing with your mates instead. But um, so there was yeah. your mates. That's what you did to hang out, did you? I used to go. I used to go with my mates down to McDonald's in Worthing and hang out. Not oh yeah, I used to go to choir, hang out with my mates. And that's how you'd meet each other. Hey boy, yeah boy, <laughs> how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, my man. <laughs> It'd all be all conversations were uh, one song. <laughs> but um, yeah, so when I went to the senior school, they wanted me to be in the choir, and I was very aware that this was not the cool thing to do. Um, <laughs> no once I got to the scene, like you know, there was, it was a game changer. When you go to senior school, you were you were like third year out of seven, rather than being top of the class. And so um, I then had to fake that my voice had broken, even that. So I was talking like this, and then they'd say, "Right, can you?" And like, Dave, you're going to be in the choir. And like, oh no, I can't sing. You know, I can't. My voice has gone all terrible. And they're like, oh, what? What? Is your voice broken? Yeah, my voice is broken. Can you take for us? And then I had to fake that my voice had broken so that I then didn't have to be in the choir. It worked. And why are you still doing it? That's the question. <laughs> I know, I do. I do alter between, uh, alternate between extremely high and extremely low. Apologies. It must be a nightmare for listeners at home. So, um, yeah, welcome to Bad Boy Running, do badders. Uh, welcome to Bad Boy Running, where we're talking, <laughs> we're talking choristers. We're talking choristers, yeah. Well, um, how are things with you, though, Jenny? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. I've just been, um, I've just come back from the Lake District, had a wonderful week of, uh, of, of walking uh, with a family. Nice. Lovely and warm. I actually got a bit of a tan. I think it was raining everywhere else. Were you, um, um, is this, were you checking out the routes for a future Bob Graham? <laughs> yes, I've got Killian's, Killian's record in my sights. <laughs> my, my 5k training is going so well, I've, I've decided, to, decided to set myself a target like that. What did the kids think of it? Pardon? What do the kids think of uh, the lakes? Oh, they love them. They, well, I'm not sure Hugo really really cares that much. You can eat really well as a vegan up there. Like the amount of like vegan and vegetarian places. With Am- Ambleside, where we stay, yeah, is a, has a little bit of a Brighton vibe about it. It's quite. It's, it's, it's getting quite alternative stuff like that. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's quite good. It is. For the first, right, we, we've always thought about buying somewhere in the Lake District, but this mm. time we were like, right, let's let's actively look for for property. And of course, you look at the price of property up there, and you're like, oh my god, it's so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> you bought the Lake District. <laughs> we bought the whole of the Lake District. It's fine. <laughs> but the thing is, someone like Ambleside, it's literally like nearly like all of the houses there are holiday homes now. Oh, that's so, bad, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it is pretty bad. Um, that you know, you have all these, you, you've got all these like little businesses and stuff. Uh, yeah, like these little businesses like Blacks and Cotswolds and no, you've all these like businesses <laughs> around there. But there are um, it, it, a lot of the homes there. You know, you, you can see they've got little key fobs and stuff like that where um, they're essentially bees. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, it's nice though it is really nice it's just i mean it's just beautiful just being able to like we we take the kids to the park there in uh, uh, and it's like under Loughborough fell 
and uh, you just stood there with like all the mountains around you. It's just insane. I suppose it's like, you know, if you're like in Chamonix and stuff like that, you just yeah. have that. You're sat like beneath the, 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 you know, the view of the mountains and stuff. So it is, it is beautiful. And did you take the kids up running at all or take them out uh, by hiking, getting on top of any of the fells? So, uh, uh, Frida, so we, every, every year we go up, uh, I take a different thing. So she did Castle Crag first time, then we did Cat Bells, and this time we did two in, she, we did two in a row. So we did Luffrig Fell, which was near us, which was pretty good. Um, and we also did Helm Crag. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, so it was great. So she did that two days, and then she did climbing the day afterwards. Because um, we get a guy who uh, is a uh, like expert climber stuff to to you know help uh, you know just it's better to do it with someone who, who's got all the ropes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, mm. definitely better. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't go and do that, of course, because <laughs> uh, there's nothing worse than than, than seeing me. I, I like bouldering, like we don't have to put ropes on stuff. You don't have the pressure. Also, no child wants to see their dad crying, quivering, quivering on the side of a rock saying, I can't get down this The thing is, you go, like, you go, it's really funny because, like, people go, it's someone like Ambleside, you have a load of tourists, uh, I don't know we're tourists as well, but you've got a load of tourists and stuff like that, and they've got all the kit on and stuff like that, and they're all going on these big, like, <clears throat> preparing for these big hikes up, you know, Luffrig or, you know, big hikes up all these different places, and Frieda's there, you know, in a pair of um, uh, like leggings and her royal ballet t-shirt, like skipping, and she's trying to she's trying to do like split leaps um, <laughs> all the way up, and she went and, and she talks the whole way. <laughs> like you know, we have someone like just talks and talks and talks, and she's just not. She's got so much energy, even after two days of like yeah, going up, going up fells, and of climbing. Eventually, like on the fourth day, she she basically stopped talking for I think a maximum of about. 30 minutes or something we're like oh she must be tired it's insane just how much talking that that, that she can do she's got your natural athleticism and, and athleticism and energy clearly she does have that i do i do think that that is definitely from me <laughs> there is it's the thing is right you're gonna see that this is gonna come as a massive shock to you when i'm when i am ready to go you're going to see that the the athlete that's been hiding inside me all this time is going to is going to is going to burst out. Where, where are you going? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I'm, having I'm, DNA, ready. I'm having a DNA change. I'm having a DNA transplant. <laughs> but I've got big news. Ooh, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a watch. Ooh, <laughs> have you never have you never had a watch. No, no, I have had watches, but they're ones that are, like given to me for like review purposes and stuff like that. Oh, so it's okay. never really the watches that I've ever wanted, as far as I can tell. And, I, and uh, we are, I'm, I'm currently unloved by my previous watch provider, <laughs> so I'm now free agent. So they apparently don't have the the social media reach to be. Uh, allowed one of the new watches so uh, i'm now a free agent social media reach yeah yeah that's what it's all about but they they should think about engagement engagement exactly i'm engaged that's why i got engaged to briggsy for the watches (laughs) that's exactly it (laughs) or maybe that's why maybe that's why they pulled it yeah now that i'm not a single man single maybe you had actually reach might have been the problem um <laughs> that's true get away from my grabby hands but um but the i've always thought that we we cross a line 
about four years ago where every single GPS watch was good enough for pretty much everything we want to do. Right. I mean, maybe maybe I'm. Is this is this letting the showing the uh, the, the magician's tricks? But basically, it, they all record your your pace and your split yeah. times and do all these other things. And now it's just a case of all these other. It's like the remote control. Like a remote control now, it's still the same as it was in 1980. Like it hit the point when you're like, yeah. It does the job. And now, I mean, we, I'm going to try and speak to Polar about their power watch just because I'm quite intrigued by it. But things like heart rate monitors or the USB linking up with your your phone and all these other elements that actually are just little gadgets that don't actually change your experience or don't really help you in your training or your running. So I'm of the opinion now, pretty much every GPS watch you buy is good enough. Yeah, I don't. The thing is, I, I I can't tell the difference. Like people saying, "Oh yeah, I really like this watch. I really like that watch." I'm like, I I don't really know. I'm not. I'm only going to use like three features on it, mm. which is going to be. Um, I'm not even probably not even the time. Probably like distance, pace, mm. and what the other one is. Yeah. Um, I don't really. And heart rate. That's it. And so yeah, that's really that's really all I'm all I really care about. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get a guard. I mean, I can't even remember what the name of the Garmin. There's so many damn Garmin's. Um, I can't remember what it is. Yeah, and that's the thing. And unless you need a, I mean, the, like the new Sante, for example, it lasts for up to 100 hours. And so that is worth getting if you're doing something like Marathon de Sable or longer, because then you just need one watch for the whole time. I can understand some things if you can sync your phone so if you're running with a backpack you don't have to get your phone out to see who's calling but yeah as you say you just need to record the speed and distance and that's pretty much all you need so i think the more money you spend on things it's just it's just for show i know it's insane like you can there's i don't know watches are like shoes aren't they for people like because you 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 spend as much time with your watch as you do with your shoes and so you learn to like love them in a way that you, you feel so much loyalty towards them. <laughs> do you feel oh, well, I'm, saying, I'm, saying, I'm saying you do. I'm like, I don't. I don't give a <laughs> shit. Um, but it seems that way. It seems that other people, like, really, really care about... Re- like, they get really, really passionate about the shoes they have. Like, if you, the way to start, the longest type of threads is to go, what, what watch should I get or what shoes should I wear? Those seem to be the two things that everyone wants to pile in and say what they love, what they should wear. Yeah, I think it's because people see it as their personal. They attach their personal identity. Yeah. Because there's so many varieties. Whereas I don't think you, you would attach your personal identity to a gel in the same way. Or, or, <laughs> no, no, or, or, or a caffeine-based. Uh, or a caffeine-based. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it says a lot you about you. Do. It is. It is. If you're wearing a caffeine bullet buff. It, it shows that you, it, it's like gang colours. It is, absolutely. Yeah, we're the, are we the Crips or are we the, the other one? Can't remember the Shills. The Shills. The sh- I don't know, I don't know what that but, means. Um, yeah, you're right, actually. I think, especially with um, ultra runners in particular, trainers. Oh, my word, everyone's doing it wrong. That's a, probably the biggest talking point for Math and Sabla. Oh, what trainers should I wear? Yeah, and, that is, um, I take, can't wear road shoes. Yeah. Oh, talking about MDS just happened yeah i like the way i like 
So it's completely been overshadowed by one one thing in particular. Who won it? Who ran it? Who was the fastest? <laughs> no one gives a shit. A dog ran it. I know. I mean, so this is what this is what amazes me that. People are always saying how, you know, oh, humans, you know, the, the best runners out there, designed for running, like, but better than any animal. And you're like, well, a dog that has done zero training completed four days <laughs> of the NDS. training, like you had to add that. <laughs> well, yeah, he just... <laughs> but, yeah. You know he's done zero training. He's been training his whole life for this. <laughs> but all he did was they gave him some water at, at certain checkpoints, I believe, and then he just did the whole MDS without... He did the whole MDS, that's the thing. I thought he started on the second day. So, no, he missed the first day, yeah, but he did the long stage, I think, which is pretty badass for... Uh... Did he provide an ECG? I'm not sure. I'm not... I... That's a good point. I was, I, I was actually amazed that they allowed it to carry on so long. So, because... The French organisers, they take it very seriously, and they do, you know... they. they I thought that they were going to, I was going to say, they're going to kill it, not kill the dog, but try and kill the story somewhat because they take it all so seriously. Um, and so I was surprised the amount of um, attention it got. Yeah, I th- the thing is, he was, I think they could see firstly that it was engaging a new audience, engaging a pretty big audience. But, I mean, that dog was a dude. Do you see the pictures of him? He's just there. And he looks like a dog who's, he... If, if any dog could be having a fag and just being like, yeah, whatever, does. man, it, I'm not even absolutely. trying. <laughs> He's the dog for that. Was, but, he, was he actually French? Was he a French dog? Where, where did the dog come from? Because they said that he was reunited with his owner. But I mean, what, what was the owner doing at the point that the dog ran off? Was he really? So, oh, what, I mean, he, he would have a, a French bark because he's Moroccan. Uh, I, I don't know. Unless, let me, let me, I think we need, what's the name of the dog? Oof. Cactus. Ooh. Was that his actual name? I'm they sure named him that. Cactus, yeah. That, yeah they, they put it to a vote. But the, did you see the numbers, though? What, what I didn't realise is... So I went to message number 990, my number. I've been messaging every year, I think, um, since to whoever was 990. And this year, I'm pretty sure when I was there, there were 1,500 people who were running. And this year, there were less than 900 Oh, really? Yeah, which is really sad in some ways. Um, that, was, that was kind of the numbers when we were when, when we ran it. It was about 900. Oh, interesting. So maybe, I mean, I, I don't know why, but it, it seems to have grown. And the Russians, then... all the Russians have been banned. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but the, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's sad to see in some ways because it, it feels like the type of event now that it's, it's become such a big organisation that, it could quite easily lose money if they're not careful because um, it's, you know, you know the way yeah. things get flabby um, in terms of costs. And so I don't know if it's because they're doing a half MDS, if, if Ultra X, because they're doing all these series now, or if it's, you know, is it the price point or because there are just so many more options, you know, are things like Iron Man eating into MDS um, or, you know, even Rat Race doing their bucket lists. So it's it's really... Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens for the MDS over the next few years because it is expensive. I mean, it is amazing, but it is expensive. Well, and maybe they'll just get rid of the helicopter and that'll probably halve the expense of the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, the the safety and, and and the trouble is as well, if you if you look at events, events are safe 
until something goes wrong. And I'm sure things go wrong at the MDS every year, but because they've got so many provisions and they've spent so much money on medics, the amount of medics they've got, the helicopter, the local army, that nothing bad ever truly happens. Even when that guy got lost, um, yeah, he survived. More to a coincidence than anything else. But um, yeah, and so there's a lot of other races out there that people are being drawn to, I assume, and hopefully they are as good and as well equipped. But, you know, will we be seeing the MDS in 10 years' time? And if so, will it be dramatically different? I don't know. I... And actually, is it just the fact that, you know, the, I, th- I think it's true, but the rumour is that the Brits pay about two grand more than the French. And so the Brits were making up the biggest numbers. Maybe it's, it's actually their comeuppance for like, well, we're going elsewhere now because you're, you're charging too much. Anyway, so just that it's the whole ambivalence towards the. I mean, like you know, we we constantly joke about the fact that any any MDS video you would never think that the Brits existed. Yeah, you know, the Brits are basically subsidising subsidising you know a lot of the a lot of what goes on, and you know they were never given any um, uh, recognition. But like, you never you, you, you there's no point in buying the MDS video because you will not see like a single Brit in it. Mm. Um, it's, and it's kind of like a running joke. Um, and I don't know, it's weird. It's kind of like a metaphor for the European Union and leaving it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not getting down there. We're not. <laughs> but the, okay, so I felt like, so here we go. The, like, the name of the dog is not Cactus. They've dubbed, they dubbed him Cactus for it. Okay. The name of the dog, this is even better, is Mauricio Odio Truque Diggity. <laughs> I had, I had, was that his name before or is that yeah. <laughs> yes it was so he is a dude dog he is a dude dog what is what i like about this it goes according to the new york times cactus belongs to innkeeper karen hadfield innkeeper <laughs> like what sorry is this biblical times Inke- <laughs> it's a pub yeah, in the middle of the Sahara Desert. <laughs> in the Sahara Desert. <laughs> and a dog that just, it's a bet. It's a pub bet, isn't it? That's yeah. going to go, oh, do you reckon your dog could run the MDS like these guys? Yeah, come on, kick him out, see what happens. Because <laughs> you know that when people were running with that dog, someone was eyeing up the dog thinking, this is my... This is my opportunity to become a new influencer. I'm going to adopt the dog, make a story, sell a book, bring him home with me, quids in. And uh, no, he's got an owner. I wonder it's, if you... But it's funny, isn't it? Because there's there's certain years where, I don't know, you might, you might have like celebs and stuff doing it. Uh, and it's really interesting because whenever you do have that, it, they kind of, they, they pull all the, all the attention away from other people. Like anyone that did it the year that... Um, Randolph Fiennes. Uh, I was going to say Randolph Fiennes, actually. I was going to say... Um, James Cracknell. Yeah, James Cracknell. Um, yeah, everyone's going, oh, did you do the year James Cracknell did it? Oh, we do. Did you see James Cracknell? Did you see him? And they're like, off, like, ask me about my time. Ask me how I did. <laughs> Who cares about James fucking Cracknell? <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And we're just, oh, did you... Yeah, oh, is that the Randolph Fiennes? Did you see... Was Randolph Fiennes your year? <laughs> um, oh, I think he was going to be. He was going to be, and then... And then I got injured. I think it might have been Misha and Tom's year, the year before. Oh, really? What was okay. it the year? No, maybe the year. Yeah, year before, I believe. Because it was rumoured to be Prince Harry, I think my year or the year after. Um, 
the actually there was there was going to be a documentary about my year to do with these five brothers who were all doing the MDS together. Oh yeah. I can't remember who I was talking to about it, but apparently they were just an absolute nightmare, like proper proper city boys who were um, very no, much. No way, city boys on the MDS. Yeah, afraid so, afraid so. <laughs> Maybe, maybe the issue is is break. It actually might be Brexit. <laughs> if everyone's being transferred anymore. out of the city to like Frankfurt or Amsterdam or whatever, you know they can't afford to. You can't. You haven't got time <laughs> to do the marathon de Sable because you know it's falling over the period when Brexit was supposed to happen. That's true. Maybe they couldn't get their visas sorted. Get, the city. The city's been emptied. There's there's no money for the MDS anymore. <laughs> we solved it. We cracked it. But um, we cracked. It. Our very own Rob Pope was there. He uh, did well. Came fifteenth. Very nice. Oh, that's I, so. So, did someone say that if he if he ran it as uh, Forrest Gump, that BBR would raise a grand for him? I don't know. Did we? Possibly. Well, that's what he's. That's what he's posted in the group. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> I don't. Either either someone has got a bit leery and they got a bit oh the shot the mouth off or. He's 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 being very clever. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's probably got a bad boy guarantee attached to it. There's <laughs> a huge yeah. bad boy guarantee attached there. Who know how much that's worth? But um, possibly. Um, I mean, I'll I'll have to chat with Ali and find out if we did. But I wouldn't put it past us to say something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past us to, to make promises that we can't keep. Also, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past us to be able to raise a thousand pounds because uh, Rob's a great guy, great charity. So. Um, I'm going to say we did, and we should. Nice, nice. The, the uh, link is in the group, uh, if, uh, listener, if you want to go in there and, and have a look. And please um, do, because uh, whew, it's going to make some of us look pretty bad if we don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob, Rob's an influencer, and if he turns against us, we're in the shit. <laughs> now, um, I've got something which I think this will possibly come out slightly too late for us to take advantage of. Ooh. But... Um, maybe if this was released just before London Marathon. Have you... So it's not often that I, I actually talk about a piece of marketing by a company that I think is actually really good in every level. Okay. But have you heard about the Strava Last Mile? Oh, wait a minute. Are, are you banging on about this? Are you keep mention, I see you online mentioning this at different points. No, I haven't haven't mentioned this at all yet. I've mentioned it. I've seen you doing it. No, not yet. I'm going to... You're trying to do your influencer thing. I can see you doing it. No, no, no. I was going to put it... I think I was going to put it in um, the, the Facebook group just because yeah. I think it's actually going to be good oh, for... What it is. So what they've done, they've said if you're running a half marathon or marathon in the next it was about six weeks or so register or sign up on strava as i'm doing this challenge you say which race you're doing and if your last mile is the quickest mile they put 10 pounds for each person that does it which i think is pretty nice as they give you 10 pounds or give 10 pounds to charity give 10 pounds to charity right and um i'm obviously a london marathon pacer so what I could do is slightly slow down my group <laughs> for, the, for 25 miles. And then be like, oh, uh-oh. We've got three minutes to do this last mile. <laughs> they get everyone. Hundreds of people. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a thousand pounds right there. <laughs> or nothing. And a load of really angry people. <laughs> 
<laughs> I lose my pacing well. God damn it. God damn it. But um, yeah, I think it's quite good because I think it's unlikely that many people are going to get, I, th- I think in a half marathon, last mile, sh- your last mile should be your fastest. Definitely. I think in a marathon, it's a little trickier. Um, unless you're buzzing off caffeine, but I'm definitely do that because I'm I'm going to pace my last mile quicker than the other 25 because why not? Um, you know, three seconds quicker, bang, jobs are good. Nice, but, um, nice. Yeah, yeah we're well, going. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. It'd be good to see uh, who achieves it. So if you are, if you're doing, is it next six next? Maybe next six weeks, will it? When it, this I mean, it, it probably. I'm hoping it, it's every week all the way up to the day before the end of the marathon and then it's like nah 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 we're not we're not letting <laughs> you boys out um, but it there i mean i i can't remember the exact terms of positions but if you google um just strava the last mile um enter the challenge and the good thing is it's half marathons as well so even if you're not doing a marathon or if you're doing a half as part of your training I then That'd be. I think they'd lose so much money if it's a park run. The good thing is for them, about, they're threatened that they might give too much money to charity. Well, I mean, it really could bankrupt, bankrupt Strava because you think how easy it is to run your last mile of a park run quickly if you're trying to, and how many thousands of park runners there are in the world, hundreds of thousands. I mean, you're looking at you could lose a million. Maybe more just in why, one, one. But why? Day. Why if, wouldn't you just like walk twelve miles? And then just gently jog, like a mile. But I don't think anyone would for for a half marathon or a marathon. Because I think they would do for either distances. But actually, most people who do a half is because you're you're racing. And, so, and a marathon is such a. I mean, the good thing is it's a nice. Character. <laughs> they should. Yeah. They should, they should, yeah. No. 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 You're absolutely right. It's the thing is that kind of thing does will will spur some people on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's just like a nice challenge. They should do that for 100 milers as well. Oh, that'd be brilliant, especially in 100 milers, because most 100 milers aren't 100 miles. So <laughs> you do your 99th mile the quickest, and you find that is, three left. It is, it is entirely possible. I, I think it's, it's easier to run a faster mile, last mile in a 100 miler than it is in a marathon. Okay, is that because your average pace is so, so much slower than your top yeah. speed? yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I, I've not done one, but I can imagine that being true, actually. Um, especially if you're a sensible pacer, because, you know, even the top guys are going off in, what, eight-minute miles? Yeah. And so you'd think they'd be able to pull a, a 7.30, a 7 out at some point. Um, well, Strava, give us 100 miles. I guess it's harder to then prove, isn't it, on the – it's just more complex with the distances. But maybe we maybe do a bad, a bad boy a bad boy last mile where um, we'll buy a free pint to anyone who does it. We can't oh afford my that. God. We can't afford that. But um... <laughs> <laughs> We've just made Rob Pope will buy you a free pint. Beer 52. Try and claw the money back somehow. Beer we promise. We'll give you a free box if you pay postage and packaging um, of beer if you do it the first or the last or the medium or none of the miles. <laughs> there we go. Beer52.com slash bad boy running. Bad boy running. Yeah. You send us, we send us five ninety nine, and we'll send you a box of, um, a box of uh, eight beers. Uh... Perfect. <laughs> no, no, we're not doing that promotion anymore. Um, I think the website's still up though. Oh, is it? Yeah, it still works. Beer52.com forward slash bad boy running. Now, um, I've, with that good news, I've got more good news for you. 
I've got a story about a proper do-badder who is excelling in every way. Okay. So, uh, obviously, big fan of Bruno. Uh, the misogynist Bruno, yeah. Yeah, as he's known. As he's known. Bruno. It's not, it's not, it's not misogynist. It's just, uh, it's just an in-joke. I don't know where it comes from, but... I think it's from his name. is like Musk... Uh, I mean, no one can remember his name. <laughs> his name just sounds misogynist. He just sounds like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Bruno Bitches. It's like, it sounds misogynist. <laughs> but, um, so he was in the first track season, uh, first track competition of the season, which yep. he's already not coming to the uh, the Croatian wine marathon, he's saying, because same day as a track day. So not only is it the first day of the season, but it's at London Heathside. He... Uh, He's up against one of my big rivals, Andy Barnes, in the um, in the steeplechase. First 400 meters, he pulls his hamstring, so he's out. Right. But he doesn't finish that race. But to represent his team, he takes part in the javelin, and Bruno is now the 14th best javelin thrower in his age category in the country. <laughs> in the country. In the country. Uh, year to date. Year to date. <laughs> What? <laughs> That's insane. I mean, there are only 15 recorded details. <laughs> details, details. I hope, he puts, I hope he puts that on all his social media now. But that's the great thing about athletics. You can you can take part in an event that hardly anyone does, especially when you get to our age. And, uh, and suddenly Power of 10 tells you where you are year to date in the country. So... Um, I think do bad is we need to be getting out there and trying to beat anyone who's 40 to 45, take up the javelin this year. We've got to knock Bruno down as far as we can in those rankings. <laughs> take Bruno down. <laughs> but, uh, but I've got some uh, recommendations. Oh, before we, oh, no, no, before we do recommendations, we're going to go from, we were talking about marathons. We were talking about Bruno. So it naturally moves on to cheating. Ooh. Is, is Bruno a cheat? I, I'm implying... It, it sounds like I'm implying that. He's not. Okay. But it sounds like I'm implying that. Okay, okay, okay. So hit, hit me he with look, your... He looks, he looks like the kind of person that you would suspect of doping, actually, wouldn't you? You look at Bruno, you're like, mm, he kind of looks the sort of person. And Kenny... You look at G-Law. G-Law, you'd be like, there's no way he dopes. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at his performance and you say, there's no way that he dopes. You say that, and he, <laughs> he did very, very well in, um, where was he? Did he go to Boston? Paris. 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 Sub Paris. three. Yeah, sub three. Amazing. Well done, G-Law. Well Hero. done, G-Law. Still, still want to punch you in the face, though. <laughs> but, but cheating, we... cheating. But cheating, yes, yes. China. China. And this is, this is related to um, Boston Marathon. China has banned three marathons three marathon runners from competing for life for life in in any any distance any marathon from compete well, let's, let's have a look let's have a look let me read the story to you it's from, it's from the bbc china bans three marathon cheat runners for life three chinese marathon runners have been banned from competing for life after breaking the rules at the boston marathon on monday one participant gave his bib to someone else, classic, Ooh. while the other two used forged certificates to gain entry. <laughs> the Chinese <laughs> classic. The Chinese Athletic Association has vowed to root out cheats to avoid giving the country a bad name. This is an interesting one. The sport is rapidly 
grown in China with 1,500 running events last year compared to just 22 in 2011. More than 500 Chinese runners took part in the marathon in Boston. With the increase in popularity, there have been numerous cases of cheating, such as people taking shortcuts and one woman jumping on a bike to complete a portion of a race in China. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, legend. The CAA said it banned the trio from all future races because they had a negative impact on China in the international community. What do you think of that? I mean... I'm fearful for those those runners because <laughs> so so I'm like banning I'm like is that all? Yeah, I mean, given that they've got their good citizenship um, biometrically linked score, which then determines if you can get loans, if you can travel on certain trains. I think that could be the yeah. I mean, I genuinely would fear. The thing is, this could be the new route to get to America. What you do is you cheat to get into the Boston Marathon. You then say you're going to be killed by your government if you go back for cheating. So you then claim political asylum, become an American. Boom. That's true. That's a gas. Actually, that's brilliant. That is good strategy. Because you well, would, you would be, you would be fearful of going back to China. Yeah. Um, with that, cla- the thing is, it's one of those things, isn't it? I, I don't, I haven't heard and. So I don't know, you know whether this is right or not, but I haven't heard about them banning anyone else or any event or something, whether this is the first time that's happened. I do know um, the cyclist was banned for life as well. Yeah, but that's quite, that's just, you expect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You expect cycling life with it, isn't it? I mean, it's um, harsh I mean, that, that guy gave his bib to someone else. That's really harsh. I know we're going to have people who who actually think that, that this the it's the bane of the sport and but ah oh, it's almost like he didn't cheat the other guy did gave his bib to someone else that's I mean that's yeah it's not quite the same as forged certificates mm. or jumping on a bike especially as I mean I I don't know the deferral rules but if you get to a stage where you're like well I'm not going to run today I'm not going to run tomorrow anyway you might as well have my place. That is very different because that isn't denying someone else a place. Did it, so did they give it to another Chinese person? I don't know. I mean, I, you, you've got the article. I don't. Well, it, it, it doesn't go into into that much detail. Yeah, I mean, if he sold um, if he sold it in advance, then yeah, that's pretty bad. But if nearer the time, because I I'm obviously wouldn't do this with London Marathon because. Uh, because I'm paid for them and I love them dearly. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem myself if I had a, if I had a place and my friend. Well, I've, I've run marathons as other people before, not to get t- good times for them, but just because they've been like, I can't do it. Do you want to do it? You just go, yeah. And I know in theory the insurance or you know if I pass out and my name's not right on the back or, but you know if you look at the chances of anything's happened, it's it's you're just running a marathon. And you've someone's paid, no one's losing out, um, really. So I haven't got a huge problem with that. It depends on at which point he pulled out and passed his pass on, really. It's interesting, though. It's interesting that they, as as a country, because you know, normally, would I mean, would they, would the athletics association normally get involved? It would normally be the individual race directors, wouldn't it? And uh, marathon majors and stuff like that, who would. It's probably only somewhere like China that they can ban you from every race because like in the UK, you just sign up as a non-affiliated runner and there's no way they're going to know. This this is the trouble with with some drugs cheats is that you can ban someone. I I know um, I was talking to to a very good runner 
uh, like a world champion level runner who was saying that, that the issue is with drug cheats is that you might get banned from a race for doing drugs, but no one else knows that. How, how do you know as an organizer that this guy shouldn't be running in your race and, unless it's a really, really high level race? And so um, when you can just sign up for any race without an affiliation, then there's nothing to stop you joining any race, really, other than information and and people's knowledge. So, yeah, I, in China, they can probably actually have a system where every single race is centralized in the administration and know everyone is running and ban people. And they probably have to use their identity passes to be able to register. Oh, really? I don't know that, but I'd imagine so. Given the the way their system is moving, it wouldn't surprise me if all all races are linked. Because I mean, you can't get on some trains if you have a bad citizenship score. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And so I'd imagine, given it's a booming industry that it's becoming more popular, and they're probably involved in it in some way. Because I was looking, there's, I'm just, I'm just looking online, and uh, there's another thing about. Um, because a lot of the runners, uh, these mm. Chinese runners, came through a, a travel agency. And so this travel agency has been accused of... Th- these are the ones that have been caught. Yeah, okay. And so I think there was the, there was the accusations that the more of it. But th- it's really interesting. I've just seen, I've just seen this, that, like, uh, the Voice of China found that several chi- Chinese Boston Marathon participants took much longer to complete the race than the times they submitted for registration. One unnamed female runner finished the race in 6 hours, 11 minutes despite providing a three-hour, 35-minute qualifying time. An unnamed male runner qualified with a three-hour, five-minute finish, but ended the race in five hours, 26 minutes. The thing is, but we'd, we'd do that. It's, the difference would be is if, if you looked at them, do they look like a 305 runner? Because you could tell. But we'd happily go to Boston and, you know, join the hash table, stop at the, is it Wellington? We're halfway with all the girls and then, you know, there's pubs on the routes. So I could imagine us going out there qualifying and just really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, I don't know. It's funny, isn't it, though, because you, it's true. You can see why China takes such a... a, a a strict view of it because at some point they must be worried that people just say Chinese any Chinese runners are going to be I mean I, I can't ever see that happening say we're going to ban all Chinese runners and stuff but you get to that situation that if if ever you know China starts producing runners that are winning yeah. these races there's always going to be that cloud over it about look cheating the, look at the swimming when they had mass numbers of swimmers who were all doping and you they suddenly started winning stuff and you what well, I if, if there's not a great track record of communist countries <laughs> doping, is there? <laughs> in general mm, mm. state control state controlled athletics organizations mm. yeah exactly especially where there is a, a genuine national benefit to individuals doing well so um yeah yeah tough one tough tough time to be a chinese runner or tough time to be a slow chinese runner <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> tough time to be a a good Chinese runner um, caught in between a load of slow Chinese runners who are who are, who are being cheeky. Do you think Do you think someone could make money from setting up a um, a like a, a non officially sanctioned cheaters marathon where it's it, it accepts anyone, no matter 
who you are, even if you've been banned from any country. It has can... it has minimum it has qualifying times, but you have to fake them. <laughs> they have to be in someone else's name. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's almost uh, like that, the... would be, that would be an amazing one, the Cheetahs Marathon. And but what you do, you do it on a course that would make it very hard to cheat on. And so it's it, you you have to work really hard to cheat and get away with it. Yeah. It's just a straight straight run in, the, straight... in, the, in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a way to cheat. Always a way. There's, a way. There's always a way. That would be good. That would be very good. So go on, you were going to tell me about Netflix recommendations. Was it Netflix recommendations or, or, or Amazon Prime or, or I something? Mean, to be fair, we've, uh, we've been talking of our intro for quite a long time. So I feel it's more important to jump on this while it's time specific rather than the the recommendations okay. it's a uh, another running podcast who i think we can do some do battery with so um pete faulkner posted this in the group have you seen this about the yes, culture culture running podcast so um lisa evans went on there as a guest and they have a policy which i think is quite a good policy quite a brave oh, it's a dangerous policy a very dangerous policy quite a clever policy if you're trying to get your ratings up and actually i was thinking should we do this but it's going to ask for trouble it'd be asked for too much (laughs) so they have genuinely we we kind of do it anyway like if you write a if you write a funny five-star review we we kind of read it out anyway yeah absolutely if you write something golden then we need as much help with content as we can get so we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna suck that up but um so Contra, culture is spelled a, a strange way. C U L T R A. But talking as a cult. Yes, yeah. So I, I think it's linked to a, a geographical location, um, but I'm not 100 sure. So they've said any five star review on iTunes, they will read out in the podcast. So Pete Faulkner and a couple of other do-badders went on there and left some cryptic some funny some some slightly insulting reviews on there what i didn't realize is that itunes almost um it it actually separates geographies in the in the ratings so i've been on there and given a review as well um you you have to go and see if you can spot it but because you can spot it it's a bloody essay <laughs> Well, I was thinking it'd be quite funny if someone just goes and pastes the complete works of Shakespeare. <laughs> I th- I th- what I like, what I like, what you've done is this: is you've you've written it as though it's not a review. You've written it as though he's just speaking it. You've done it as a, as a script, which which I like. Yeah, and that's so. Um, so do bad is firstly get them. So they, oh, I hadn't realised about iTunes is that our reviews are, are completely separate in the UK. And so if you go onto their podcast and look at their reviews on iTunes, all you see is do better reviews. Um, which made oh, no really? sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know. It. So I don't know if we can see do better reviews for our podcast from the States because we're looking at it from a, a UK address or a UK iTunes um, database really? or however it's organized. Yeah. And so even though I think the podcast has quite a few good reviews from the states it only has do better ones in and this means you know do better's out there but when, he, when he's read them out those are the only ones he's read out but if you go onto the itunes store they've got 
a, a significant more number of five star reviews than the ones that are when you click into the iTunes software on your desktop. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's completely different as well for if you've got an Apple computer, the the whole user experience might might be different. So um, firstly, do batters in America, Australia, Philippines, wherever you may be. What do you see when you see our reviews and what do you see when you see their reviews? Because it might be that you can't see any of the do better reviews. But also, I think all do badders should take it upon themselves to go and leave a, star, a five star review for this podcast because they seem to be reading them out. And they also, I, I, as a podcast, they are very similar to us in some ways in that they seem to be a bunch of mates who don't really give a crap. And who are genuinely just talking about running because they love it and having fun. So I think they should be supported anyway. Wait, 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 wait. You say they're just like us. I have to (laughs) warn anyone listening to this. The sound quality and professionalism (laughs) is, is, is another level. I think Lee said that when he was into it, they had a studio. Yeah, I mean, that is... That's over the top. It's a bit over the top. That is dream days, isn't it? Dream days. But um, but the um, they also even though they'd had three clearly they had three UK five star reviews all weird or related to the Bad Boy Running podcast they couldn't really be asked to do any research on the podcast or listen to us or check anything about out about them <laughs> even though all of their reviews mentioned Bad Boy Running yeah so but what they did do is they they typed Bad Boy Running into Google. And one of the first articles was just that it was in the runners world top 10. And so I think they then took that to mean that we were a, a, a genuinely serious podcast. Yeah. That we're, were we're aggressively, like the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That we were aggressively trying to take over their, their podcast. So I think let's roll with it. So do banners get out there, leave them some five star reviews. It's, it can be as, as weird, as lovely, as, uh, as wacky, as in jokey as you'd like and let's just see how long they run with this policy and i think the the more libelous you make your your reviews the more interesting it will get because um... <laughs> yes absolutely just just start spewing out mate i think the more um, phrases that you can incorporate from the a to z of uh, a bad boy running the better but you have to try and work it in in a way that it doesn't seem as though you're just randomly saying phrases. So like almost like tell it as a story. I think that's the that's the way to go with it. And in fact, should, should we should we commit that any five star review that they read out will read out? <laughs> yeah. Well, should we read the ones that they've read out so far? Yeah, let's have a quick. Yeah, okay. if we okay. quick. So this the first one. The first one I like is a dedication to you, really, where it says "not a cult." F1. So the thing is that well, they call themselves a cult, where we don't call ourselves a cult. Which I think, if you, I think it's important you don't call yourself a cult. Yeah, you. Because um, if you, if you, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. Absolutely. Maybe in America, though, as a cult, you get some kind of religious charity status, and it might actually help for tax reasons. But anyway, so this one is not. To cult FYB five stars from Lieutenant Dante Membrere. Oh, is that surname Membrere? Nice, I like it. Yes. An excellent podcast covering the Easy Coast Ultra scene. I think they're meant to be East Coast. Um, and easy. then, yeah. And then the next one, not as good as the Bad Boy Running podcast. Five stars. 
by Bato Panton. <laughs> Professional, slick, and well-researched. Everything a quality running podcast should avoid. <laughs> they didn't quite get that. They thought they didn't really understand that when they were reading it. <laughs> yeah, I think they feel that was a genuine insult. Yeah. Um, Holy Mothballs, The Dwarf Knows No Bounds, or What Wats by Pete Faulkner. This is pretty good. I thought I'd found the one. I'd settled down content with my lot in life. Just me, a blonde bombshell, and a girl with a guy's name. We were going to be happy forever, underachieving together and generally going nowhere. I was happy with hashtag bad boy running podcast as my one and only auditory delight of running persuasion. Then a small English dwarf whispered in my ear, come listen to this, he said. It'll amaze you with tales of endurance treks beyond belief, stories of nights sleeping on cricket pitches, public streaking, and a lifelong quest for missing signage. I'll tell you how I broke down international boundaries, was accepted as the all-conquering limey hero on my way to the White House. I'm hooked, and not just on caffeine bullets. Great podcast, highly recommended. So nice to have a normal, flowing conversation about trail stuff that we're all thinking but gets missed from other podcasts. Keep it up. Thumbs up. Yes, yeah, so that's nice. That was a lovely message. Nice, nice. Although that does imply that LSE is turning people away from BBR podcasts. Oh... Well, that's why, he's, that's why he's left to America, isn't it? That's why, that's why he was deported. Yeah. Deported back to America. <laughs> but I think maybe we should offer an open season and say any reviews coming the other way for the next month will uh, we'll read out. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. anyone from culture, anyone, any culture fans who leave five-star reviews will we'll read out. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it is open season. So people get onto iTunes or wherever else people do reviews. Do people do reviews anywhere else? And uh, uh, yeah, get reviewing. Get reviewing. Perfect. Well, um, from talking about our podcasting brothers in the States to a man who is running the States. <laughs> So do badders, we've got a not only a great runner, but a great tale coming on the podcast. You know, when you hear a story, you, you see something pop up on the internet and you think, I'm not sure if this is genius or absolute idiocy. Um, well, Ricky's here tonight to tell us which of the two it is. He's run every single street in San Francisco. Um, so welcome on the podcast, Ricky Gates. Hey! Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I can tell you right off the bat, it's it's. Uh, I think it's stupidity and possibly genius, but I would never uh, claim the genius part. But uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely a high dosage of stupidity there. Well, the thing I've actually I've considered something similar in London, and um, it just seemed too much. Like even, I know I was only thinking Zone One in London, which is. I'm not sure how far across, probably eight miles across, maybe a tiny bit more, 10 miles across. And it just seemed way too much. Um, I mean, how did, how did this come about? Well, so the, the idea for this trip came about uh, following, uh, so about two and a half years ago, I, I ran across the, the United States, uh, South Carolina to San Francisco. Uh, I spent about five months doing that, uh, doing about a thousand kilometers a month. Um, and the whole idea behind that trip was, uh, not, not just like an athletic endeavor, but really to kind of get to know my country a lot better. Um, I've spent more time in, in the UK, what well, I should say prior to that trip, I had spent more time in the UK than I had in all of the South. 
um, you know, I'd I'd known the Bob Graham round. I know uh, (laughs) the Lake District. I know Ireland. I know, uh, you know, a lot of parts of the British Isles there. And I'd never really set foot in Alabama and Georgia and and uh, in a lot of these places. And, uh, you know, we're we're living in interesting times right now where I think that a lot of us are a little bit confused about uh, uh, possibly the directions that our, you know, our, our, our towns, our countries are going. And, and uh, I think that for me in particular, it was a really good way to answer a lot of those questions was to uh, simply set out on foot and get to know uh, the country a lot better. So so basically, was was this a reaction to the Trump election then? You were like, who are all these horrible people? I have to find them. And then you you, you got to to meet them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I certainly wouldn't say uh, uh, they're horrible people. You know, there's there's a lot of... uh, there's a, there's a lot of ideas out there and, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, the core of empathy is really just getting out and speaking to people. Um, I don't agree with, with a lot of people. Um, but what I learned is that I, um, if, if, uh, I did in fact think that they were horrible people beforehand, which I didn't, um, I, uh, came to an understanding of how they have come to think that the way that they do. Um, and so, uh, to, to answer the previous, uh, statement there, it wasn't, uh, I had planned on doing this trip, uh, that run across the country before the election. Um, but when the election happened, it just kind of occurred to me, like, this is going to be way more interesting than, uh, than I had initially anticipated. And, and so how did, um, then San Francisco was the, the challenge and, and that was, you're not from there, so was that also to try and discover the city in a way you didn't know it? Yeah, so uh, so I finished in San Francisco, and uh, kind of, I, I think anyone that's done uh, a long trip, uh, weeks or ideally months, uh, if not longer, um, you're you're kind of left with a, a sort of emptiness uh, when completing something like that, like kind of a yeah meaninglessness uh to to your daily life you know that you're you've just done something that uh more or less you know defines you in a way for uh for such a long period of time that it actually kind of becomes who you are and so sitting there living in san francisco i've i lived in san francisco off and on for about 6 years um it just kind of occurred to me how you know this run across the country was a it was really kind of a rural ex- uh, expedition of, of the United States. Mm. You know, the, on, on a daily basis, I'd go through, you know, one or two or three towns that are, you know, three to 5,000 people. Uh, I went through a few cities, but the, the reality of going through a city, like, like you just mentioned, the size of London, like uh, as massive as London is, uh, you know, you can run across London in a half a day. Mm. Um, if you wanted to, you can do it a lot quicker than that if you wanted to. Um, but what sort of understanding does that lead to, uh, when, when you cross a place that quickly, you know, the, the density, the weight of it, you really need a lot more time than, than a half a day to understand such a massive place. So I was sitting there just kind of, uh, after the, my run across the country thinking like, how can I, um, you know, how can I, try to understand this city uh, or more importantly kind of cities in general 
uh, on the same level as I just experienced the United States, which isn't to say that I, I understood the United States entirely after going across it, but I had a much better understanding of it. And certainly the rural America, um, which is uh, the, the primary America that did vote for, for Donald Trump in the 2016 election. So uh, I was walking down the street one night with some friends, and uh, I don't know how that idea came to me, but uh, it occurred to me, like, uh, you know, first check how many miles there are of street in San Francisco. Uh, after doing a massive project like going across the country, you get a pretty good understanding of, of distances and, and uh, how quickly you can do those distances. And uh, the quick Google search uh, showed that it was about uh, 1,100 miles of street in San Francisco. And so immediately I'm like thinking, you know, that's Colorado, that's Denver to San Francisco. That took me six weeks or so. Uh, I, can, I can do that. That's, that's going to be the next project. And, and that's kind of when it occurred to me to, to take on this project and, and to kind of uh, experiment with uh, getting to know a place in this uh, very strange format, which uh, not only encouraged me, but uh, by the nature of the uh, the project that I set forth, uh, forced me to uh, go through every neighborhood, go past every single house, go past every post office, every school, every hospital in the entire city, and uh, if nothing else, just get a feel for it uh, in in as short a period of time as possible. The thing is, with something like San Francisco, that works really well with a, with a, with a city that's so steeped in history and has a lot of variation across it. it that works really well. I can, I can imagine that there'd be some places that you would do, you know, you could, you could choose to run round that would look exactly the same from like one street to the next. So yeah. it, it works. I mean, can you imagine doing it in Milton Keynes or something like that? <laughs> you on the roundabouts and just end up looping for eternity. <laughs> so it must, it, it, was there anything, what was, the, what was the thing that surprised you most? Was there any big surprises really about what you discovered as a result of running all the streets in San Francisco? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was, there was surprises on a daily basis and, and to where to even start with that is like, you know, San Francisco, as, as you said, it has a ton of history. It's a perfect, uh, in my opinion, it was the perfect city to, to kind of take on this project because a bit hilly, so much history. A little yeah, bit. And, <laughs> you know, and, and for me, uh, you know, for us mountain runners, you know, we, I, I loved that part as well. I think uh, a completely flat city would have been more of a challenge for me than, uh, than a city like San Francisco. Because how much is that um, on it overall? It ended up being 150,000 vertical feet. So uh, that's, you know, 50,000 meters, uh, five times up and down Mount Everest. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and San Francisco is a funny place. You know, there are some neighborhoods that are very, very flat. You know, I do uh, 25, 30, 40 miles in a day and hardly accumulate any elevation. And then there's other days, 20, 20 mile days where I do six or 7,000 vertical feet going up and down a, a hill that's literally 300 feet tall. So you just go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down all day long. Um, and part of the, the surprise that uh, kind of came to me with that is just kind of the, the stratification of, of culture and society literally on uh, the scale of elevation, um, which I kind of knew about, um, but never really experienced until... 
um, I, I started running the streets there. Um, you know, in, in poor cities and around the world, uh, you know, I'm thinking about like uh, Rio de Janeiro, here in Mexico City, uh, the higher elevations, uh, the, the taller the hills is where the poorer people live. Mm. In San Francisco, it's the complete opposite. It's uh, the, the more money you have, the higher up the hill you go. Um, and so it's something that I suppose I kind of recognized beforehand, but uh, fully recognized uh, afterwards. And did you, because taking on something like that, did you have any specific rules along the, you know, if, if you think about um, Morton Spurlock when he did his, you know, if they asked me if I want to go big, if I uh, supersize, I have to say yes in supersize me. Did you have any rules about interacting with people or um, things that forced you to actually engage with the street itself? Yeah, so I, I, I suppose it was more reductive rather than additive, um, because uh, as a friend pointed out to me uh, in the middle of my project, um, to truly run every street or to like, so the, the, the problem, uh, like the actual mathematical problem, which mm. you're pursuing when you're doing uh, a project like this is called the, the Chinese postman problem. It's named after a Chinese mathematician uh that was you know figuring I, th I think in in other math circles it's called the uh the trade show problem so if like if you want to hit every single house um deliver the mail to every single house in uh in a city um what's the most efficient way that you can do that and that math problem is called the the chinese postman problem and so a friend pointed out to me uh in the middle of my project he said you know you're actually only doing half of the Chinese postman problem because you're only walking directly past half of the houses. You have to oh, do both side sides of the street. street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, you we'll know, go down I, the middle of the to, street. Yeah, and then you know, boulevards uh, present another problem uh, on with with a friend of mine who was helping me out with this uh, with the math problem of this. Uh, technically, boulevards are two streets because um, it's got that median going down the center. Um, and then, you know, you get to a roundabout, uh, you know, that's that's clearly got two different sides to it. You get to a, a, a cul-de-sac and, you know, what? It, how do you how do you keep defining this? So, um, so initially, you, so was it, was it by sidewalks or by roads? Is that how uh, it kind of depended on where I was? I was on I was on sidewalks a lot, but uh, just for simplicity's sake, and uh, I would take roads where where uh, where it was convenient to me. Um, but uh, so yeah, uh, so the the bottom line is it was more reductive rather than additive, and so uh, I had to define what uh, I considered a street and what what wasn't a street, and and so I eliminated. Uh, streets that were private uh, that had a gate on them i wasn't uh, i didn't choose to to go hopping any gates i didn't uh, do construction zones um and uh paths i didn't do um but all the alleys and all the streets otherwise uh, i did do and and uh and dead ends i would go all the way i started off you know only going halfway down a dead end and considering that good uh, but then felt guilty somehow, and uh, <laughs> by by the end of the first week, I started doing the full dead end. Did you then go, did you go back to the previous the undead dead ends to then no I didn't die the dead ends yeah. no 
Someone, did, someone can call me out on that if they want, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'll go tell them they can go do that dead end if they want. I, 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 uh, I, I completed uh, my my version of every single street, San Francisco. And what about what about Lombard Street? Because you're not allowed to run down that, are you? Uh, are you not? I ran down. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought people were back. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. No, Lombard Street's a funny one. It's a it's a common misconception that Lombard Street is the steepest street in San Francisco, and that's far from the truth. There's a, and I would put Lombard Street at maybe a eighteen or twenty percent grade, and there's streets in San Francisco that have a twenty eight percent grade. And <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, they the the sidewalks actually have stairs built into them. And, wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> and because uh, my my knowledge of San Francisco is based purely off the film Bullet and the film The Rock, um, is I mean, is it a grid system, the like a lot of American cities, or is it very much a, a meandering um, cross of roads? Yeah, it's got kind of both, um, to be honest. So, uh, so the nineteen oh eight. I might have my date wrong there. It's either 1907 or 1908 earthquake uh, destroyed most of the city um, uh, first by the earthquake and, but much more so because uh, the fires uh, that subsequently uh, raged through the city pretty much leveled, uh, I'd say 70% of the city. Um, and what they did do, and this is the reason that a lot of those streets are so steep is that they did make it a grid system. Um, but that does not mean that the entire city is grid system. There's a lot of hills in the city that uh, that have meandering streets, kind of going around them, and uh, kind of in a in a more aesthetic manner, more aesthetic, but less uh, appealing to the mathematician trying to figure out the most uh, efficient route through there. Because has that been has that been solved? Because I I remember trying to program something similar at university, and I can't remember. I I thought it got the answer became so exponentially large that it was actually impossible to figure out even just the quickest route from A to B. Yeah, so there, uh, so, uh, so I got to throw out a mention to my friend, uh, Michael Odie. Um, he and I grew up together in Colorado. Uh, he's, uh, uh, took the route of being a, a mathematician professor at a university on the East Coast rather than uh, trying to make this strange existence of a professional running uh, lifestyle. Um, but he helped me with this uh, this project of trying to figure out the efficiency of, of running all of the streets in a place like that. And he's the one that first uh, tuned me into the Chinese postman problem. Um, the idea of perfect efficiency in in a, something like this is uh, almost impossible. Um, there is, like, if you plug it into a computer program, it'll tell you uh, how to cover every single street in an area um, and with, uh, you know, getting as close to 100% efficiency as possible, which mm. uh, for something like San Francisco would actually, you know, you'd end up doubling up on maybe with perfect efficiency, maybe like 10 to 15%. Um, so, uh, and then of course there's variations that'll allow for, for different levels of efficiency. And then you throw in uh, altitude gain and that's a completely different beast as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the, 
long story short, I ended up only using his route that he, uh, so he, he wrote an algorithm and uh, he's very clever. He, you know, I could give him the borders of a neighborhood where I'd want to run for the day and he would spit out an algorithm or a, a, a program for that day, a loop that would allow me to start and finish in the same spot, uh, covering it with the most amount of efficiency. Um, but the, the issue with it ended up being that it, uh, for a lot of those routes, it, it, it simply felt like I was following a computer program. There was, uh, a human element, uh, that was really lacking in the, in this computer program inherently. Um, and so I ended up not using it all that much. I did use it, uh, for two days. Uh, it just mostly cause, uh, Michael put in so much time and, and, uh, he deserved his, uh, his computer. He, I'm, I'm the hamster in the wheel and, and, you know, I, I did it for those two days and, and it was, uh, certainly interesting. Uh, but I, the, what, what ended up becoming of it is that I actually enjoyed, much more kind of having a map in my hand and, and figuring out where I'd want to go and uh, during the day and, and exercising not just uh, my legs, but also my my brain. So did you, because I mean, the trouble is you could have the most efficient route, but you, you're not start you're not starting where you finish. You're going, you're going home to bed, I assume. So how would you base it around the um, the train system? Or the tram system, um, and the stops there. Get on a tram, get off the tram, start your run, and then pop back home from wherever you finished. Or, well, so this is actually kind of funny. So uh, a European friend of mine, he actually works at Solomon. Uh, he designs a lot of the clothing and some of the packs for him. His name's Serge Chapu. Um, Solomon actually did a pretty cool little uh, film about him and kind of how his brain works. Um, last summer, he came out to the States with his uh, partner, and uh, they asked me to help find them uh, a van uh, that they could uh, kind of do a camping trip around the States uh, for three months, uh, doing some of the 200 miles in the state, 200 mile races in the States. And, uh, and, and so I helped them find one. They purchased it on the way to delivering the van. Uh, the woman got in a six-car pileup and completely totaled the van. So <laughs> in 12 hours' time, uh, the lady was fine. The van was not fine by any means. In 12 hours' time, I, I researched uh, some some other vans and ended up, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I ended up purchasing a small Ford Transit Connect, which is just like kind of the perfect little camper van for living in the, the city for, for six weeks. It worked out for them. I ended up with the van in the end and, and ended up uh, facing myself out of the van so that I could uh, start and finish my runs uh, for the most part uh, in a sub, uh, sequential manner uh, day by day. So you were, um, you were living so, in the van by yourself were you each day? Yeah, going home. I'd go home once or twice a week to Oakland uh, across the bridge. So it's it's not that far. It's only seven miles, but based on rush hour traffic, uh, it could add on up to two two and a half hours a day uh, getting to the different neighborhoods. Um, so it just made sense to to stay uh, kind of in the van, despite the tolls it takes on uh, living in a van away from your girlfriend uh, <laughs> only only 10 miles away <laughs> and is it possible to just park up a van in san fran and leave it for 
60 miles worth of running. Yeah, for the most part, you have to be careful. Uh, I ended up, amazingly, I only ended up with it in the, the full six weeks. Um, and then occasionally, you know, I'd, I'd park it and, and go run a 12-mile loop for the day and then return to the van uh, to repark it in a different spot and then run a different 12-mile loop, but essentially the same neighborhood. And and so um, you mentioned that you were going down in through alleyways to dead ends in pretty much every American movie I've ever seen. Going into an alleyway is uh, it's not advisable <laughs> unless you're looking for company or for uh, kind of disco biscuits. Um, were, there, were there any issues with actually having to go into areas of San Francisco you might not know and that might not be that welcoming. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it that the, in San Francisco, uh, in, and I'd say, I'd say especially kind of uh, during this time in the city's history, um, where there's a massive... Uh, you know, movement of, of money and people being displaced and um, a lot of drug flow. And uh, I mean, it's it's really kind of a sad situation. Um, and no doubt that I was uh, running through that, uh, maybe not on a daily basis, but uh, quite regularly. Um, I, I have uh, two things going for me. First, I'm uh, a white male, um, you know, I, I safety isn't uh, uh, as big of a concern uh, to me as it could be for, for other demographics. Mm. Um, and then a second thing, and this is something that I adopted uh, during my run across the country, um, I just, uh, when I'm doing a project like this, um, yeah, I, I kind of just kind of set my brain into a different mode. Um, and that's kind of this fearless move, mode. And it's in one for me to, to kind of adapt, or, or sorry, to adopt um, for the cause that I'm going for, which is to get to know as many people as possible. Um, and the, the window that, the door that opens for me is, is that I get to talk to really some of the most interesting people uh, out there. And they're the ones that have lived some of the hardest lives. Uh, they they say some of the most interesting things, um, and and it it's really a, a door to to empathy and trying to understand um, why how is how how did they get uh, into the situation that they're in, and how is their life really all that different from my life? Like what turns did they take? Uh, and really, they're not that many, you know. And a lot of them are. Um, quite uh, circumstantial, you know, that they uh, grew up this way, or their color, their skin is this color, or their parents uh, raised them this way. You know, a lot of things not in their control. A few things that are in their control, uh, but that's that's how it is. And uh, so, those are kind of the the two uh, the two things that I adopted. Uh, well, one of one was given to me; the other I adopted uh, to kind of go down that road and and. Uh, and really try to, to understand um, what uh, what a city is all about, you know, because if you're just going to the, the tourist areas, if you're just going to Fisherman's Wharf and Alcatraz and the Ferry Building and, and the Golden Gate Bridge, like you're just getting the postcard view of San Francisco. Mm. If you're going 
down these gnarly alleyways and uh, you know really confronting yourself with the the, the darker side of, of what a city is and there's no doubt about it uh, even in the most beautiful cities in the world uh, they've got these dark sides uh, that's really the the avenue so to speak to, to understanding what a city is all about and what it is to to exist in uh, in, in this human hive uh, of, of humanity. And, and so, so what about San Fran would you say was different to what you were expecting and, and it kind of what really surprised you? Uh, let's see, I, uh, to, to pull a couple off the top of my head, uh, you know, there's, it's a city at this moment in time that's certainly most well known for the tech industry. Um, but uh, getting to explore the um, the different uh, cultures of the city um, was really the most interesting. So the African-American population in uh, the neighborhoods are Bayview and Hunter's Point, um, and getting to understand why those neighborhoods are there. Um, obviously, California was, was not a state uh, that had slavery, so this... Uh, uh, as, so in, in reference to the South, you can understand why those populations are there. In San Francisco, they, uh, for the most part, came in uh, for helping sh build ships in the 1940s um, from industri other industrial parts of the United States, like Detroit and uh, in parts of the South. Um, and those neighborhoods are uh, still very strong uh, culturally and uh, today. Um, and to be able to go to there and, and kind of start to understand that and start to understand that the problems that they face with, with the rapidly changing demographic of, of uh, money coming into the city. Um, Chinatown, obviously, is, uh, is a very rich part of the, the city. Um, and then uh, there's parts of the city that are, you know, you know, initially not knowing a lot about the Asian populations of San Francisco. Um, you just say the, that's a Chinese uh, neighborhood there. But then if you run every single street and you start talking to people, like you start to understand where in China these people are coming from and, and certain movements throughout our uh, American history or, or specifically San Francisco history that's allowed them uh, or encouraged them to, to come to the city and, and uh, uh, to really set down some strong roots there. And then, of course, you've got your Italian neighborhoods uh, and then uh, uh, Spanish and, sorry, excuse me, Mexican neighborhoods and Central American, like El Salvadorian neighborhoods. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool city to, to kind of uh, try and break down and figure out uh, why it exists the way it does. Just going back to the, the, the Transamerica run that um, you did and traveling through so many other cities, flipping that on its head, were there, is there anything that you think are common themes in those cities that surprise you, even though, you know, in the Deep South and in San Francisco and something that's a commonality throughout all of them that, that, that maybe you found um, that, that surprised you? Well, so it, I would say that it's something that I didn't really notice until I did this project. Uh, like I was saying, and it was kind of a confirmation of that, that I, you can't really know a city just by running across it a single time. Yeah. Um, running through neighborhoods and, and spending a, a much more intense period of time in all of these neighborhoods, that's when you start to understand 
you know, that San Francisco is a, a special place, but it is a city and it shares a lot of commonalities with other cities. And so um, more recently, kind of as a, a small sub project, I, I took on uh, every single street here in Mexico City uh, just for nine days. Um, rather than, I think, the nine years that it might take to actually uh, complete that project. Um, <laughs> but uh, really finding, you know, the similarities between the different neighborhoods and, and how the, the city kind of operates uh, on that level. Um, so looking back at the, the cities that I did go through uh, during my Trans America run, I, I think that the, you know, the 12 or 14 miles that it took to get across Memphis or the 10 miles that it took to get across Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, or a couple of the other cities. It's, uh, I, I can look back on them and recognize a couple commonalities, but the reality is, is that it, I, I really just scratched the surface on those cities. Um, but I suspect that there's uh, a lot more in common than there is different and and the conversations that you're having with people are these chance encounters things they've initiated or are you actively trying to engage people along the way it kind of depends uh when i was running across the country uh people were engaging with me a whole lot more uh, and it's just because i i stood out a lot more um you know when when you run into a gas station uh, on Route 50 in the middle of Kansas, and your your beard is you know several inches long, and and uh, you're wearing a backpack, and you've got running poles, uh, hiking sticks in your hand. Um, you really stand out against uh, you know the the people coming in, uh, working the farms, and and uh, and people want to talk to you. Uh, in San Francisco, uh, you know I didn't have that backpack. Um, I look like I'm just out for a regular jog. Mm. Um, and, and really the, the, the it, it was, if, if I wanted to talk to people, it was primarily, I had to initiate the conversation, um, which I learned pretty quick off the bat. And that was a, a big difference between the two trips. Um, and, and a bit of a struggle, you know, I, uh, it's a lot easier when people are, when, when you look different and people want to talk to you, then, uh, you know, I, there was a couple times where I'm like, well, I, I just, I want to have the conversation with this person. How do I break the ice here? Mm. And, uh, you know, I just throw it out there. I'm like, I'm running, uh, you know, I, I, I want to chat with you. I'm running every street in San Francisco. And like, they, they don't really even blink. Like it's not even, it's not interesting or, or it's not comprehensible. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it was an interesting, uh, difference between the two and I've, I've certainly said it will be also just the difference between being in a city and being somewhere smaller because you know if you, if you talk to anyone in london on the street um doesn't really matter what you'll say the first thing they'll think is is this a mad person or absolutely yeah and and your first statement probably reinforces the fact that maybe it is <laughs> totally yeah and and, and yeah I'll be the first to admit that. And you look like a mad person. <laughs> and, and reality is, is like, we are a bit mad, uh, as runners, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it takes a couple screws loose to put on some shoes and go run for eight hours. Uh, you know, that's, that's not normal. 
not anymore anyway not not without a you know there's not no no lions chasing us anymore <laughs> and and so were you for things like food and nutrition were you eating at venues in the area or were you going back to the van and, and having your usual standard food oh uh, no that was probably the best part about running uh doing that project was just carrying a few dollars in my pocket and and uh you know in chinatown getting some really good dim sum and in uh in hunter's point or in bayview getting uh, some barbecue and, and in the mission district getting tacos and um in in the few little vietnamese uh, neighborhoods getting some some pho um which i think is could be one of the best uh, trail runner distance foods uh, out there um so yeah it was it was great i mean i i can't imagine doing a project like that and not taking advantage of of the uh, all the differences in food that you have uh, available to you and were you discovering get I mean, there were, were there surprises restaurants that you'd never be able to find out about unless you experience san fran that way Oh, absolutely. Yeah, on on a daily basis. Yeah. And um, and in terms of the co- the coverage, were you left with any really awkward routes where you suddenly have to do fifty miles to cover just a narrow gap in between these these areas, or, or did it actually work out? It actually ended up working out pretty well. Um, you know, the the only time it would be like an awkward distance is like if I missed a block, like eight blocks away. Um, and that doesn't sound like much unless you've done a marathon a day for the past like 30 days and you had just done a marathon that day. And in order to complete this, uh, this loop that you've set yourself out to do for whatever reason, uh, you now have to go run seven blocks that you've already done in order to do one more block. You really, uh, that's, that's when you start to question um, <laughs> the, the sanity of, of doing something like that. You know, it's, it's, in the end, it's just a game. It's, a, it's essentially a scavenger hunt and no one's making me do it. And yet, uh, here I go, I'm running seven blocks in order to run one block and then run those seven blocks back. Um, and that's when you're scratching your head a little bit, like wondering what this is all about. But um, the bottom line is, is that, you know, you're for something like this, it's uh, for me anyway, it's it's about being in those neighborhoods for the entirety of that day. And so whatever it is that you see in that in those 15 additional blocks um, is your reward. That's that's what you're going for. And uh, and that wasn't always obvious to me while I was doing it, but, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'd, I'd find something, uh, along those runs that, uh, that made it worthwhile. And, and were you tracking this with your pen on the map and just drawing where you'd been or was this using your GPS or? So I had kind of a, a multi-layered system of keeping track of everything. So I have, uh, Asunto 9, which was great. It's uh, the newest watch put out by Sunto. It's got a 24-hour uh, battery life. Mm. Um, so that would, uh, that would keep me on track throughout the day. Um, and I would have my phone on me. I wouldn't uh, record with my phone, but I would 
sometimes if needed, I'd pull up a track from a previous day to see if I had in fact covered a street uh, that I, I think I might have or might not have. And then in my hand, I would have a paper map that I would print from Google Maps um, of the neighborhood where I was trying to, that I was trying to cover for that day. And then uh, tucked in my shirt, uh, a four colored big pen um, to mark off streets that I had done uh, in red. Uh, I would circle streets in green that uh, were not possible to do, like the ones that I mentioned, uh, either construction streets or, or gated streets. And then in blue, I would kind of take notes of streets, uh, suggestions for ways to go later on during the run or during the day uh, and, and to go uh, to, to make it more efficient. Um, so, and then at the end of the day, I would upload that data to Moobs Count uh, and then to Strava. And then from Strava, it would go to uh, City Strides. Uh, which is uh, an app that uh, takes all of your cumulative data from Strava and puts it all in one thing. And I would kind of compare city strides with the Strava heat map mm. uh, to, to keep seeing this, this city kind of fill in uh, bit by bit. Um, so, and then on top of all of that, I would have uh, uh, two more maps at home in Oakland that I'd go to once a week and, and kind of fill in uh, uh, to mostly just to make myself feel better <laughs> it's it's kind of uh, cathartic in a way to to do a project like this and then uh reduce it down to a, a two foot by two foot map and and actually start tracing all of those and kind of relive it in a in a way yeah i can imagine actually um and and you've got you've now got an experience that probably no city planner even you know someone who's a local councillor has has had that intensity or, or breadth of uh, understanding i mean what would you say works well about san francisco and what would you say you'd change if you could about it yeah oh that's interesting so you really start to pay attention to uh generally city workers, but the, it, it extends beyond that, that are doing similar sort of things. So like the postman. Mm. Um, and then of course there's uh, public transportation, like what parts of the city do they reach and what parts of the city do they not reach? Um, and those all seem to work pretty well. Uh, kind of the things that really struck me as uh, interesting and scary and uh, are the the neighborhoods the the poorer neighborhoods um, and in you know I studied sociology in college there's there's some things there's overt raise, racism and there's uh, um, syst uh, um, systemic. systemic racism systemic racism and in San Francisco and I, I don't necessarily think of it as as racism per se uh, just as uh, there's demographics that are much more vulnerable than others. Mm. And so, you know, there's uh, public housing projects throughout the city where, you know, poorer demographics have been put, uh, you know, starting in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. And then lo and behold, uh, 2010, 2015, 2020 comes along and those neighborhoods are no longer, uh, you know, worth 
very little money. They're worth an immense amount of money. And uh, you just kind of see how uh, these neighborhoods are just kind of, they, they get forgotten about. Uh, some people fight for them, but not enough people are fighting for them. And then, you know, as, as time goes on, you know, these, these projects uh, get boarded up, closed, and they just wait for the people to move out and, uh, and then tear it down and, and put a humongous building in its place. Um, so that's where, that's where I see things not working quite as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I see a lot of these things as, as evolution. Um, I'm, am I necessarily the person to go out and, and fight for, for their rights? I, I don't think that I am. Uh, but I do think that it's important that we make ourselves aware of it. And in doing a project like this, uh, uh, it's it's in your face. You have to confront it and you have to think about it. And uh, so then it, it might be important for people and then important for other people, but at least it's not hidden behind uh, behind doors. Yeah, and, and I mean, do you think that's do, do you think San Francisco is quite reflective of American America in itself, or do you think it's quite um, its own real um, socioeconomic region? Uh, it's definitely got uh, bits of both. San Francisco's, uh, I'm not going to call it unique, mm. uh, but it does have a very strong social justice program. Uh, it's got uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of amenities set up for the homeless or, or uh, uh, underprivileged. And um, it's, it's, as we call, a sanctuary city. It's, uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, but it is at the same time a city that's rapid, rapidly being gentrified, mm. um, which is a word that uh, seems to be a bad word in a lot of uh, in a lot of circles. Um, in in my personal philosophy, it's it's uh, it's another form of, of evolution. Um, so I don't know what to think of it entirely, other than other than that, uh, I do know it's happening in San Francisco, and I know that it's happening in a lot of cities throughout the country and throughout the throughout the world. Um, but in in the first step is is to simply make ourselves aware of it, and uh, and that's where a project like this comes in, and and uh, yeah, just just witnessing it. It's uh, I think. Uh, uh, the core of empathy, you know, the first step towards uh, empathy is is uh, at least sort of understanding what's happening, mm. and uh, and and I feel like uh, I've I've uh, moved one step closer in that direction uh, with this project. And the, the thing about the thing about this project is that it's so grounded in um, in 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 a cityscape, and it's so grounded in in people. Whereas some of you, you know you. you your reputation and, and, and the thing, the project that you worked on before, all of, you know, are very much about trails. That's what you associated with trails, and and people tend to go on trails because they want to escape people, <laughs> <laughs> to some, or they want to escape that kind of thing. So it, it's such a massive contrast um, to 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 what you what you're otherwise associated with. Um, and I just I wondered whether it was were, did it did it feel completely different when you were doing it, or did it still feel like it was the, the same kind of thing? It just a, a, a kind of journey of discovery, as it were. Well, I kind of think two two different ways about that. You know, the the nature of the project was that it was a massive amount of miles over a short period of time, 
so in, in that sense, you know, it does have a lot to do with, you know, hiking the Appalachian Trail yeah. uh, or the Pacific Crest Trail or, or you know, the, the full length of, of the UK. Um, you know, it's a massive project and, and you have to come to terms with that on a physical and mental level personally uh, every day. But then there is this uh, this human element to it, uh, which is, uh, for me, it's just really, really fascinating. Um, and the it's obvious to me why we want to go do the Appalachian Trail or mm-hmm. or or a massive uh, excursion in the woods. Like uh, us human beings provide ourselves with plenty of reason to want to get away from it all. Um, but the uh, the the opposite side of the same coin, you know, is that uh, I want to understand why we want to get away from all of this, and and that's where this project came in, and it's it's not always pretty. I mean, but the the other side of that is oftentimes it is really pretty. You know, we've we've got a our neighbors are tend to be much more sympathetic and and caring than. Uh, than we usually give them credit for. Oftentimes, the uh, the issue is that we don't always have the opportunity to uh, to give our neighbors uh, that chance to uh, to be loving and and caring. Um, and doing something like this, uh, stepping outside your bounds and making yourself vulnerable, uh, allows for that interaction to happen. And so. Um, yeah, at the end of it, uh, you know, I I'm, I was psyched to get back to the trails, but it wasn't because I was sick of people. I think it was just because I was sick <laughs> of pavement. Yeah, cause did you have any injury issues, the fact you were just running on road and pavement the whole time? No, I didn't really at all. Uh, I have had this uh, a little niggle, uh, I think, as you guys say over there, a niggle. Um, <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in the inside of my left ankle uh, that has been getting inflamed with large miles uh, mm. over the past few years. Uh, but beyond that, nothing, nothing more than normal. Uh, and I think in large part, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful to 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 have uh, a shoe company uh set me up with shoes uh solomon has this new pair of shoes i uh didn't anticipate running uh all of my miles in these shoes but lo and behold i put uh, uh in in a couple in a few different pairs but uh um 1300 miles in in the solomon predicts which are have a little bit wider of a uh, of a foot um of a forefoot and uh some some nice cushioning and and uh so i think that was helpful and then uh just kind of trying to stay on top of uh massaging and 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 stretching uh so yeah i I didn't have any issues other than the the fatigue and uh yeah that you might uh, that you that you can generally assume is going to happen with this yeah i mean just sleeping in a van so often as well probably is going to have an impact eventually on your lack of sleep and your quality of sleep as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, uh, I, I, I got to be honest. I actually love sleeping in my van. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's, uh, yeah, it kind of feels like, and, and then uh, it feels like kind of going back into the womb a little bit. It's uh, dark. And it's, uh, and it's like, filled with afterbirth. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, we won't go into the... Uh, 
um, the Oedipal complex too much there. But uh, yeah, it's dark. It's, uh, you know, the sounds of the world outside, I imagine, sound uh, similar to the sounds of the world outside of the womb. And um, yeah, I could sleep really, really well in there. Um, yeah, to the... To the uh, um, the discontent of my girlfriend, but uh, but yeah, that's the that's the truth of it. And to be honest, having your own bed for once you've seen <laughs> it's, it's just a delight in itself. I've had that the last week; it's wonderful. I mean, it's I I, I miss her terribly, miss her terribly. Um, yeah. And so, could you see yourself? Because like as a as a project, is it's pretty interesting. But to be able to come back, say in twenty, thirty years, and do it again would be really interesting. I mean, is that something you consider? I I can't say that I've considered doing San Francisco a second time, um, but I will say that I've considered doing other cities because um, it is, uh, in, in especially other places where I call home. Um, so other towns in Colorado, um, you know, as my girlfriend and I are looking for our next place to live, uh, wherever that ends up, I'm, I, I can almost that's... guarantee that I'll be doing it there. Do it um, before, yeah. You know, when but, I... but real estate, real estate, that's the... <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, you definitely, when doing something like this, you definitely uh, start to keep your eyes peeled uh, for at certain houses. Like, why why is that house uh, boarded up or why is that house in uh, not the best condition in this neighborhood? And you hop on Zillow or, or whatever the version is in, in the UK uh, and start to check the uh, the worth of the house and if it's for sale and property taxes and all these things. But uh, no, the reality is, is that it's just, uh, I've just found it as such an interesting way to, to get to know a place um, that I'd, I'd, I, I look forward to doing it again in, in other cities uh, around the, yeah, where, where I'm living or, or possibly around the world. Um, yeah, and it's a shame yeah. in a way that you're you're doing it now. You're leaving. Yeah, it's it. It felt like a a little bit of a shame, but in a, in a way, it felt like a a really nice uh, goodbye to the city as well. Like to 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 have this understanding of it that I never did before, and to appreciate cities on a on a level that I never did before. Uh, and to move forward in, in my life and, and be able to start looking at other cities with a, with a different set of eyes. And are you the only person doing this? Have you heard of any others in the world who are taking on similar size maps? Or? It, is, it is really cool, actually. And I'd, I'd recommend uh, everybody that's listening to this, uh, if, if you're not going to actually do the project, go on to Twitter or onto Instagram and check out the hashtag every single street. Um, when I started this, uh, last October, uh, I think there was less than five posts and, uh, none of them had anything to do with this project. <laughs> now it's up to, now it's up to 1500 posts. Uh, there's people doing this on, uh, at least six continents, um, and it's really cool. Like, I find it really interesting, uh, people that are starting to document it in similar ways uh, that I am. There's a gal in Dubai doing this. There's a, a, a person in Brazil, um, a few places across Europe. There's a, actually a gentleman in England, Tom Gunner, uh, who I met recently. He did one of the, um, the neighborhoods. I'm not sure what you guys call your neighborhoods in England. Uh, in London, he did, hmm. uh, and I think it was about three or four hundred miles. 
Um, and the way people are documenting it, uh, if you're just looking at these pictures, it doesn't look, you know, they don't look like much. But knowing mm -hmm. that, you know, this is a person's run that it has a certain set of rules and uh, these rules are going to put you into into contact with, uh, you know, seemingly mundane things. Uh, but uh, much like uh, much like the project itself, you just start to notice uh, similarities throughout your own run, throughout the city, and then throughout cities across the world. Um, I mean, so, uh, yeah. You've got to get over to Europe because we've got some tiny countries. You could go to someone like Stan Marino. <laughs> run, or, yeah, run Luxembourg. Yeah, run, run the whole totally. country because that would be incredible. Yeah. Run the Vatican. Yeah. That would take yeah. hours. Totally. Some, someone did uh, Monaco. Because how many day. miles would that be? One day. I think, yeah, one day. I think Monaco in one day, and it wasn't that many miles. I want to say 20 or 30 miles. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was awesome. And it, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, you know, just as this FKT thing is, is quite popular or, mm. or first ascents, um, it just kind of feels like uh, a whole new sport out there where, you know, someone can be the first to do something in their town. Um, I, I wasn't the first to do all the streets in San Francisco. There's been a couple other people that have done it. They did it uh, over uh, a few years' time. Mm. Um, but I know most of the other cities across the United States, uh, you know, it's, it just hasn't been done, or around the world for that matter. And uh, you just, uh, I don't know if there's a feather in your cap sort of thing to this. It's like you, as a person that's done this, you uh, have an understanding of that area uh, that nobody else in the city can possibly have, and I think that's pretty cool. So yeah, so what was the what was the what was the interest in um, in F FFKTs then? Because that seems to be something that's uh, capturing people's imaginations um, and something that more and more people seem to be aiming for. What was what was your fascination with that? Uh, my fascination with it uh, was purely local. Um, and you know, kind of there's, there's a, for, for me, the first one that I ever really tried to go for was, uh, this small mountain, uh, outside of, or it's actually right in Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, it, it was a mountain, Mount Sinitas. It's hard to call it a mountain. It's only a thousand feet tall. Um, but it's, uh, it was the training ground for a lot of great runners, uh, in the seventies and eighties and nineties and um, as we do, uh, kind of uh, chest thumping in a way, we mm. uh, talk about our times. Uh, you know, I tell a, an old guy that I went up Mount Sanitas in 15 minutes and 30 seconds, and he says, come talk to me when you do it in 14 minutes and 25 seconds. <laughs> and, you know, there's never going to be a race up Mount Sanitas, or actually there, there probably <laughs> was at some point, but uh, it's mostly a matter of... Uh, you know, access to something and being able to do it on your own terms uh, and and to to be able to use it as a training ground. Um, as it happens, you know, it's become uh, more and more popular and some people are focusing more on FKTs than they are on actual races, which I think is great. Um, they're, these are, you know, routes on... Uh, on mountains or on trails that uh, that chances are there's never going to be a race on them and uh, they can be pursued by anybody at any time. Uh, the rules to them are generally pretty simple. You know, 
Um, if it's a trail, you stick to the trail. If it's a mountain, you know, you've got the bottom, you've got the top of the mountain and, the, and then back to the bottom. Um, so all of those things are, are really appealing to me. Um, I haven't rejected uh, racing, um, but I, I, I do find certain issues with uh, the race format. And uh, the FKT for me is the, the antidote for that. So is it the flexibility it offers then? Say that again? Is it flexibility, a lot of it? Flexibility is a huge part of it. Um, yeah. And, and so just a quick little uh, anecdote to that um, is uh, this is several years ago. I don't know, five or six years ago. Uh, I did uh, the Grand Canyon with uh, a bunch of friends of mine. We drove from San Francisco to Flagstaff uh, and uh, it was five of us. And this is when I think Dakota Jones had the, the record at like six hours and 52 minutes, six hours, 55 minutes. And uh, we heard along the way that, uh, that, uh, um, that Krar was going to Rob Carr was going to also be going for the FKT, but he was going to do it a, a day or two ahead of us. And so we called him up uh, on our way down there and we're, we were like, Hey Rob, uh, you, you know, why don't you do it in two days? Why don't you do it with us? And there's five of us going for it. Uh, we'll make a sort of a race out of it. Um, and I think we'll all be able to push ourselves quite a bit harder. And he said, you guys, when you do it, it's going to be 90 degrees, and I'm doing it tomorrow. It's going to be 60 degrees. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no way in hell you're going to be able to convince me to, to wait two days and do it in the heat. And sure enough, he took uh, 30 minutes off of Dakota's time, and, and uh, the rest of us, the five of us, uh, just suffered so bad in the heat. And uh, I think that's just uh, one of the most beautiful things about the, the FKT is that uh, – you know, it's it it depends so much on it. It it just really encourages uh, perfect conditions, and if you can get those perfect conditions to include uh, some some uh, some competitive atmosphere as well, then then even better. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it comes down to um, a lot of different elements that uh, that a race can't possibly account for. Yeah, I mean, I I I've never heard of it put that way actually and that is interesting because I, I can understand the appeal of that and actually that that is quite nice in that you can do your own training to peak when you want to race when you want it might be that you don't like nine more nine a.m starts which all races seem to be in the uk for example um and do you the, the, the thing i i guess i'd miss though is i do love the competitive element though I, I i and i feel i need that in some ways to have someone chasing me or chasing someone down to really motivate me and to to focus on pushing harder do, do you miss that at all or i don't know if, i i gotta be honest uh in a lot of the fkt attempts that i've gone for uh, that element exists and mm. it exists in this strange ghost form. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my watch and I'm wondering where this person was at this point in time. Um, or like maybe I'm ahead of that person, uh, at that point in time, uh, how am I going to stay ahead of that person? Um, so, so it exists for me. Mm. Um, yeah, it makes sense. But going back to what you're saying, like, uh, I, 
I don't think that we'll ever be able to push ourselves as hard in an FKT attempt as we will in, in a true race yeah. setting. Yeah. Um, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to have, to have uh, for me, a personal race going up and down the Grand Teton, uh, which I consider one of the most beautiful and iconic uh, mountains in, in North America, if not the world. Uh, that's enough for me than, than the idea of towing the line with, with 50, 100, 200 other fast guys uh, going for the same thing. Um, so it, 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 they each have their, their, their places, uh, uh, but my personal preference uh, kind of lies in, in the FKT. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, as, as JD said, we've discussed it. We've, we've almost flirted with the topic quite a lot in the past because we're both a little bit surprised that it's it's become seems such a, a big part of running culture now it's becoming that way um, yeah but that's the first time you've articulated it There's, we've heard it articulated in that way yeah. As, yeah. A, as an alternative to a race experience yeah i think that it's all gonna kind of be settled out in the end like you know if, if a mountain doesn't register on a lot of people's radar you know the, someone claiming to be the fastest person on that mountain isn't going to really register either um, mm. and then of course there's, there's no doubt that, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's just egos in the end really. Mm. Um, and, uh, there's a, there's a funny story. The guy that had the, uh, so back in the early 1980s, there was two guys going for the FKT, um, uh, way before anyone was even calling them FKTs, uh, for, uh, the Grand Teton. One of them was Bryce Thatcher and the other one was Creighton King. And uh, I think the, the time went back and forth between the two of them at least three or four times. And uh, Creighton King, uh, you know, I wanted to write an article about this uh, some years ago. Um, and I contacted Creighton King and asked him who, like, in the end, he had the slower time. He didn't have the FKT, and, and it was Bryce Thatcher's time that stood for 28 or 30 years before, uh, um, I think... Killian or Andy Anderson broke it. I know Andy Anderson has it now. Mm. Um, but he, uh, uh, Creighton King told me this story. He's like, well, so I haven't told many people this. Uh, I went back to the mountain in 1982 um, and ran up and down it uh, in a time that was faster than, than Bryce Thatcher's time. I recorded it on my Casio watch. There was no witnesses <laughs> at the top. Um, I, and I, I know the guy. I have no reason to to uh, believe that he was making it up. Yeah. Um, he was just, but ultimately he said, uh, you know, afterwards, it. I started thinking about why am I doing this? Am I doing this uh, to to be the fastest man on the mountain, the king of the mountain? Or am I doing this because I'm having a lot of fun and this is a very intimate thing uh, that I'm experiencing uh, with the mountain and, and by myself, and, and he decided to uh, to keep it a secret for uh, for for I, I mean, by the time I talked to him, it was mm. 35 years had passed, um, and his time was ultimately broken anyway. Um, so yeah, I, and I thought that was more amazing than anything. You know, just this this humility, the, the amount of humility it takes to, yeah. to keep that information to yourself. Um, I think is, is more powerful than any FKT out there. So, um, I don't know. I just think it's all a game, uh, yeah. the times and, and claiming these things. I think it's a fun game. 
uh, I think it encourages us to uh, to go faster and go harder and um, and then uh, and to really push each other and push ourselves and and uh, gives us a reason to to get to these iconic places um, and uh, you know if it if it helps someone's ego out a little bit uh, I'm I'm okay with that I hope that uh, for their own sake that it doesn't uh, it's not what defines them uh, for the rest of their lives. Uh, Cause I think that we as human beings were, were way much more than, than a time up and down a mountain. Yeah. And, and actually we, you know, we, we, we all do it to some extent. Um, I, I assume all of us, most of us do it to some extent, you know, I've got my, my local Strava crowns that I don't think, I, I don't think anyone ever goes on the bum burner apart from myself. It's, it's a little route I've got, yeah. but I do like going out there sometimes and just seeing where I am. You know, it's a good test of my fitness. And if I can beat my time on the bum burner, it's, you know, I'm really pleased, really pleased. And no one has any clue what it is, you know, what what it means. But I do find it useful for pushing myself. And I, I do find it rewarding. So I, I guess an FKT can be just a, a longer extension of that for people. Totally. And yeah, and I agree with that. And that's a, that's a sentiment that I've had. Honestly, I've had it since I was like 12 years old and possibly earlier, but that's the first time that I can really uh, think about, you know, when I, uh, uh, my first love was, was biking and, and I'd bike from, I would time myself uh, incessantly and bike from, from one town to another. And, you know, it would take me 51 minutes and I'd wonder if I could get it below 50 minutes and then 47 minutes and then 45 minutes. And, um, you know, I'm, I wasn't competing against anybody but myself, but, uh, you know, it felt good to, to know that, uh, that I was doing it and that I was improving. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you've, you've set up a few things. You were talking talk about things of pleasure. You've set up a few, um, expeditions kind of missions yourself now to uh, that people can take part in the the one that really appealed to me is is bun uh, so not bun bus run bun bus <laughs> <laughs> bun run bun that'd be good as well i mean equally there, as t- there, delicious. there'll be some, there'll be some buns <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean what's the um what's the ethos behind those and, and, and tell us a bit more about them yeah so i uh, I've got a couple trips that I've put together. Uh, one that I put together for, I'm going into my sixth year of it. Um, and, uh, Ricky Lightfoot has come out and helped me out with it, which was, uh, which was a pleasure. And, and I've had a few other, uh, phenomenal athletes come out. Um, and the first one is called Hut Run Hut and the other one's called Bus Run Bus. I think I come up with these names for these trips because they uh because the URL, the website hasn't <laughs> been taken by anybody else yet. And uh, um despite uh, I, I don't have a marketing manager uh and the, the names always get tongue twied and, and turned around and turned into bum or or whatever it is. Um but at any rate, uh, it's uh, there. There are a couple trips that, uh, for me, just kind of highlight, you know, why it is that I got into running in the first place, and that's the the community of of people that uh, that participate in this this wonderful sport. Mm. Um, so Hut Run Hut is a, a six day trip across the the Rockies, uh, going from Aspen to Vail, Colorado. 
we stay at uh, some backcountry huts, which are really quite unique, uh, certainly to the Rockies and based off of the hut system in the Alps. Uh, they're separated by uh, 7 to 15 miles and uh, through these backcountry routes. Um, and we uh, be sure to also have a gourmet chef uh, to, to try our best to keep up with the Europeans. We have a gourmet chef uh, <laughs> uh, coming, coming with us. We're not eating ramen noodles oh, every amazing. night. Amazing, yeah. Um, and then the other one is, is a trip that I, uh, I've kind of put together uh, just this year. Uh, which I'm really excited about. And it's a way to also tap into this uh, community of runners, uh, but also to highlight uh, some of the most beautiful aspects of the United States uh, or the, the American West, I should say. And, and so in seven days and six nights uh, on this bus run bus trip that, uh, that I'm putting together, we're going to travel on a bus that's, that converts into a sleeper at night mm. uh, from San Francisco to Zion, uh, sorry, to Yosemite National Park, uh, then to Zion National Park, to the Grand Canyon, uh, where we'll do a, a crossing of the Grand Canyon, kind of the, the crown jewel of our, uh, of our trails in the United States. From there, go to Las Vegas and get in as much trouble as we can in, in about four <laughs> hours before we have to be back on the bus. Uh, from there to Death Valley, the lowest point in North America, 300 feet below sea level and uh, to the Badwater Basin where the, uh, uh, the Badwater race begins, yeah. uh, uh, the legendary ultramarathon uh, that goes to the Whitney portal. Uh, from there, we'll go to Big Sur, where some of the, the biggest redwood trees in, uh, on the, the Pacific coast exist. Um, and go for a nice run in the, in those uh, behemoths, and then back to San Francisco on the the final day. Um, Solomon is uh, is going to make a little uh, video about uh, bus run bus, which I'm also excited about. Um, my uh, videographer friend Max Romy, who's been doing some amazing work for Solomon over the past year, uh, is going to join us on the trip and and. Uh, It'll be fun. It's it's uh it's all about uh, the beauty of the trails and the community, uh, this wonderful community that we're a part of, okay. and covering two thousand miles on a bus. Uh, <laughs> can, logistically, um, on can you sleep? Sorry, the, go ahead. Can you sleep on the bus while it travels around? Like, is, do you do you go, yep. go to bed and you wake up six hundred kilometers later? Exactly. Yeah, we're going to sleep in San Francisco and waking up in, at sunrise in Yosemite. Oh, wow. We're going to sleep in Yosemite and waking up in Zion. It's like we're a magic to sleep bus. In, uh, it is a magic bus, absolutely. Um, you know, not that I've got anything against the Central Valley of San Francisco, but we're going to sleep all the way through it and wake up in the Redwoods instead of uh, instead of you know, checking out the alfalfa fields of, of, uh, of the Central Valley. So it's really the, the most amount of the United States, uh, the American West, that you can possibly see in the shortest period of time. So logistically, it's a, a challenge on my part, uh, and I couldn't do it without this, uh, uh, this company that I'm using and uh, the two drivers that they're giving us. And uh, I think it's just going to be wild. It's going to be yeah. the most exhausting uh, way to spend your vacation. <laughs> and how much are you going to be running in that time? How many miles? So 
so part of the beauty of this uh, the the bus run bus trip is is that uh, is it's kind of a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Um, I think the the fit, the fittest runners, uh, the most ambitious runners, are going to be doing close to 150 miles in in that week. Yeah. And then uh, the more casual runners uh, are going to be doing like 50 to 80 miles. Um, so it's uh, the the running itself. Uh, since it's on these national park trails, yeah, um, it is going to be unguided. Um, so you you get a map, and and the trails are easy to follow. Follow, and the maps are easy to follow. Um, and so it's uh, kind of uh, yeah, pick your poison. Oh, that sounds so cool. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah, really, I just, and I just love the idea of going getting in the bus having a few cheeky nightcaps and waking up somewhere else amazing yeah that's gonna be fantastic totally and it, and, it, and i i'd also like to add you know my my background is uh you know i i waited tables for uh 12 13 years while i was trying to make it as a professional and i i loved that job uh, but it it's not the most uh well-paying job and mm. and uh i wanted this trip to to be accessible to uh, a person like myself 10 years ago so i'm, I'm keeping it at a, at a price that uh, uh you don't you don't have to be a dentist or a doctor or a surgeon or a lawyer to to be able to come on this trip um so yeah check it out busrunbus.com hutrunhut.com um they're both going to be amazing and wonderful and and uh and hopefully end up uh fitter on your way out then you came in yeah you can find it on rickygates.com as well there's um there's a japanese trip on there as well um well amazing thank you so much uh, ricky really interesting to hear that project to hear future projects as well but also um wow i oh, my missus and i are currently thinking of honeymoon vacations and oh i mean that that's made, <laughs> the, that's made the the short list that's for sure um yeah but yeah, if you ever make it over to the UK again, um, if you you fancy doing another crack at the Bob Graham, taking on Killian's record, anything like that, let us know. And, um, we'll take you out and uh, show you the sights of London. And we can run every street in, well, probably not every street in Brixton, but every street in Brixton bar the Angel Housing Estate, because we'd probably avoid that one. But um, we'd love to you know, have you over if we get the opportunity. Perfect. I'd love it. And uh, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks, Ricky. And uh, if Thanks people want to, to follow you, rickygates.com, um, social media, anything like that, what's the best way for them to get in touch? I, I nailed uh, my, my own name on all of those. So Ricky Gates on Twitter and, and Instagram, R-I-C-K-E-Y-G-A-T-E-S. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ricky, and uh, good luck with your next adventure. Thanks so much, guys. Oh, Cheers. All the best. Bye. Bye. Oh, yeah, really interesting. So, what, which one are you going to go for? Oh, which city? Or no, which, no, no, no. Uh, is it run, run, bus, run, run, hut, run? Yeah, I mean the rust, the run, bus, run just sounds amazing. I love that idea of the thirty of you all together, kind of making friends. They're all going to be similar, like like-minded people, and the 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 fact you're going to those locations as well. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure everyone else would appreciate that. That would be your honeymoon, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> making love every day on the bus <laughs> the thing is it wouldn't stop you would it 
<laughs> There'd be some great videos of that, Chip. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Don't matter, guys. You just keep eating. We're just. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, is um, a little bit of the of my my geekiness from university kind of came out in that, and I was just I, I did like thinking about the problem of how you'd actually try and do it. And oh in any... god, just like why are we talking? Do you? I went. Um, we. There'd be a nice spent our honeymoon with uh, yeah. twenty like twenty other people overlanding in Africa. So and it was an amazing experience. It was we only we only did it because we didn't have the money to to go on like a big <laughs> a big sort of luxury you know like two weeks three weeks somewhere. So we yeah. thought, well, what can we get for our money? And, and essentially, it was camping. Um, so yeah. overlanding and camping, and yeah, you know, we tell the story about how you know we spent basically our honeymoon with twenty other people. But it was amazing. It was just like it was one of those things where you say if you put it on paper, on paper you need to say this to Claire. You say on paper this sounds terrible. This sounds like it's going to be a you know it, it's not going to be into it or anything like that. But actually, it could be brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, our plan is hopefully to get well, Claire wants to get travelling um, for a few months, but something like that would just be so cool, especially. You know, there's it's just tick boxes of, the, of a lot of the places. I, I want to see the Redwoods. I'd love to see Death Valley. I'd love to race there at some point. Obviously, Yosemite. Um, I'm not yeah, saying just, that I'm, I'm looking at this in detail, but um, but I'm, I've just been looking at the website and uh, some things to consider about the bus. It's vegetarian. Oh, <gasps> oh, really? Yeah. Think about this. I mean, there's two thousand miles. Of travel there's going to be roadkill <laughs> there is i'll just speak to the driver and be like come on mate we'll just do a barbie out the back put the grill up <laughs> no one has to know <laughs> but um yeah really interesting that um i like i the thing is i like the whole like i like the whole idea of do you know what i like the way he's packaged those different challenges there's something really yeah. neat and tidy about it and packaged with a Doing like every every road or every street is really good because that actually it's it's very similar to that Tour de Stade thing we were talking about. You know, like running every step in a stadium. Yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of like that, isn't it? Running every because there's a there's a complete. It depends what it appeals to you. There's a completist element to it as well. Yeah, it probably appeals to OCD people. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, I love about it because um, I think you can run huge distances in um in urban centers without realizing it because yeah you know, if you're in a, if you're in a running in a field and stuff it for some reason it just seems to take a lot longer than if you're mm. running down a street and it's that perception because it's a busier you know environment and everything but if you were going to do something if you wanted to get the trail experience then san francisco would be the place yeah. like with all the hills and everything because those hills are insane and you could <laughs> yeah and like you said you go like the appalachian trail but on pavement yeah, I mean that's the thing. Fifty thousand meters. The elev- I mean, even averaging that over, what would you say? It's basically a thousand miles. So yeah. there's fifty meters a mile. Like the bum burner is. That's the bum burner <laughs> for a thousand miles. Like that's that's insane. I mean, the bum burner is not crazy steep, but I run it as my training for comrades because it's you know it's it's as steep as you go without like changing your body position yeah. um, while, you, while you're running fast. So, I mean, that just tells you how much elevation you must have been doing. That's it's, incredible. But like, like San Francisco is insane. It's like, I mean, Brighton's hilly and you go, oh, cool, running around Brighton, that must be pretty hard. But San Francisco is 
proper stupid. Like what is it, it, twenty something percent. Some of the places. Twenty eight percent. Twenty eight percent. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I, I can't really understand what that must be like because there's nowhere I've ever run that's similar, other than maybe on mountains. It's very yeah. It's very unusual, San Francisco, in that respect. Um, mm. But I'm trying to think of like where else would be very similar to that, and I can't. I can't really think because you know in America you think oh yeah you've got those grid systems and stuff and it's much more planned. Whereas if you go to somewhere like mm. anywhere that's basically on the east coast or the west coast or you know the you know much older cities, ones that sort of grew up with a normal sprawl as a, as opposed to like a a grid mm. system, then you know they they haven't been planned as much. And so San Francisco kind of like popped up, didn't it, as a as a result of as you know the gold rush and and everything else. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so you think it's a weird, but you know, no, I mean, it's a pretty bad place to build a city on a, on yeah. a fault, on a fault line, <laughs> yeah. on a hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, it's funny that when you think of, this is, this is very different, isn't it, how we think, um, you think of San Francisco and you think of Bullet, I think yeah. of San Francisco and I think Star Trek, Star Trek headquarters. <laughs> what? Star Trek headquarters, San Francisco. Um, okay. What? I thought they, I thought they couldn't get back to Earth. No. Oh. <laughs> what, what about the the voyage? Was it Star Trek Three: The Voyage Home or something? Or yeah, but the Voyage Home, it, they do go back to Earth, don't they? But it's a different time, isn't that the one? Is that the one? Voyage Home. I think I've only seen the Wrath of Khan, <laughs> and maybe the Voyage Home. So um, let me just double check this. Yeah, that's right. The voyage home is they go back to San Francisco in 1986 because they have to really? rescue. Yeah, cause it's. I think it's like the best of the Star Trek films because it has all the humour in it as well. It has that you know fish out of water um, uh, thing where, of course, they're really modern and like a Vulcan in 1986 San Francisco is hilarious. It's more, it's more like a comedy buddy <laughs> movie than it is a, a sci-fi movie. I don't think I've actually watched the whole thing then because I, I don't recall that. Um, what, that does sound quite good. Yeah, so that's what when I think. Yeah, when I think of San Francisco, I think, and now I also think of um, uh, Planet of the Apes. Wow! So it's all based. I thought, oh, it's all sci-fi. I thought that was. In New York, because they see the Statue of Liberty. Oh or no, something. the new one, the new one. Okay, then okay, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen those either. Okay, um, no, they're brilliant. Really? They're, they're, it's like the the most. Um, I can't believe how untalked about, if that's a word, they are. They're utterly. <laughs> it's a the trilogy of the of the Planet Eight are just brilliant. The the new ones, the last three, the ones with Andy Serkis doing. He's he plays uh, Caesar. Okay, I'll watch that, but they're on the list. All right. Yeah, you'll see, you'll see San Francisco in a, in a different light. And is Ricky in the background? He's so. <laughs> <Yes>, running. <laughs> he's in all the different shots. He's still, even, even 200 years into the future, he's still... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. I mean, the good thing is San Francisco is one of those cities that I don't, I don't think they've got the opportunity to extend it because it's in the bowl. So actually, it's going to stay as the same challenge for the future. Whereas nearly every other city you get this urban sprawl, and well, that's why I mean, the, that's that's why Star Trek's yeah, that's why Star Trek headquarters was there. They couldn't go, they couldn't go out of the bowl, so they just went up into the sky. Yeah, yeah. Is there any option to uh, get cheaper land, isn't it? Head to the moon. Um, yeah, really interesting. And um, 
I'm trying to think what it'd be like running around London. I think and... the thing is, London's very, like, when you think, even just doing the city would be hard. Because yeah. when you used to look at the size of some of those, you know, some of those streets and how many of them are, and the fact is they still follow the same grid they had, at, you know, during the fire of London. They, you know, they go yeah. back be, be, yeah, before the fire of London. Um, so many side streets, yeah. so many little and alleys, uh, and, yeah, alleyways. In order, in order to and... be able to, to, to do it in, a, in any complete way. Just the city, it's the square mile itself. I wonder how long that would take. That would maybe start on that and work outward. Yeah, it'd be quite, because actually then you've done a city at least. Yeah, it boroughs. Is, you, you just do it borough by borough. Yeah, but the the square mile is actually quite appealing because over the weekend it's quiet. Yeah, and um, it's all pretty nice. You, you're not you haven't got any rough spots really in the square mile, don't you? No, no, you haven't. So, uh, and it's flat. And it's flat. Yeah, although you know you're running up. Think about the beer mile running up Ludgate Hill. <laughs> Little bit of a little bit of ram there, um, but it's interesting what he said about FKT. And actually, I, I think the reason why I've, it's n- I've never really figured out what he managed to uh, explain there is because the FKTs in the UK, there you've got the Bob Graham round, which seems to be in my head the only like established FKT of the past. And then the people we know doing these random ones that are just. They don't seem because he was saying you get to run these epic trails. They could never have a race on. Yeah, that are, are trails that you've wanted to run anyway, and also you can do it in your in your own time as your own challenge. And that to me makes perfect sense. Yeah. Whereas it sees the UK FKTs are, I'm going to do the Essex Way. And you're like, what? <laughs> and it's they're just or the I'm doing the the Green Chain Walk FKT, and they're they seem to be people finding new routes to set a record for when no one knew that route existed. And that, I think that's why I've never really understood the appeal of FKTs because it does seem to be such a random concept. Whereas if it is something like the Bob Graham round or their equivalent, then that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that does make a lot more sense. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything like the Bob Graham round in the states. No, 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 in the UK because Bob Graham round is a. It would be what you say is a proper FKT in the sense that you wouldn't hold a race on it. Yeah, it's, the only way to really do it is to set a time on it by that route. Even things like South Downs Way, you know, established routes like that, they have they have races on it. They don't need you know, don't necessarily need an FKT yeah. on it because you've got you've got a, and. and- also, you know, is the South Downs Way, is, is it the whole South Downs Way? I mean, does someone do one of those in FKT or um, North Downs Way, South Downs Way? There's, there's the, you know, the Yorkshire Three Peaks. Yeah. There's so there's of, there's, well, the other thing I think about FKTs is that surely, like, rate, well, no, actually, he, he answered that, but he answered that. Um, but really, shouldn't there be different... FKTs depending on like a winter FKT as opposed to a summer FKT. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 there is a winter Bob Game round, and actually, so I, I listened to Talk Ultra a few weeks ago. What? Yeah, but mainly because I wanted to hear 
Your name Killian. mentioned. Oh, right. Exactly. No, I want to say what Killian was like because um, as much as I know about his running, I've never really listened to any of his interviews. So I wanted to see if he's worth, you know, if he's entertaining and actually quite you know, interesting to get on the podcast. And um, and I was thinking about that. So it was a good episode, and they they talked to Killian about doing the Bob Graham round, and then they also spoke to his paces. And it was interesting to hear his view, to hear the Pacers' view. But actually, throughout the course of that interview, I really, I, I just cemented my view that it's completely wrong that he's got the FKT for the Bob Graham round. Completely wrong. Because it's it's a route that is so steeped in history in the Lake District, which, you know, to me is the home of fell running, mm. you know, global, global home of fell running. And um, you know the the Bob Graham round, and you haven't speaking to Nikki and and you know, James. Everyone in the area knows it. They know all the trails. They know the trods. Even the fact there's a phrase called trod. And so to have this guy turn up, who I don't know if he's been to Lake District before, who then gets a um, the very fastest p- local people to navigate for him while he runs the the route. And on a dry, on the driest it's ever been, so that it's not wet, it's not at all like running the Bob Graham rounds, and so he essentially does like a trail run, a guided trail run of the Bob Graham round, and smashes a record, which I mean, which means it's not even like anyone could get close to that time now. So is that the is that the end of people trying for the Bob Graham round? You're like, wow, that this is hundreds of years of well, let's say a hundred years of history just blown out of the water by someone who probably has never run those trods before and wouldn't be able to navigate it and would get nowhere near that time if he tried it by himself in the way Nicky did. Yeah. So I, I I'm, I'm picking, I'm picking up. You're slightly annoyed about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just, it just, I, I don't know. And no, no, I it, feel the same. I feel the same. It, it feels, it feels the same. It, it feels, feels almost. It feels almost as though you're turning up to a local trail <laughs> run in Germany, well. and some random group of people, you know, on a stag do, wearing stormtrooper outfits, take away, take away the the victory from the local champion, who really is all all that it matters. God, that's going. Well, that story's thinking, going back. That I, reference is going back a while. But I was thinking, is that me in Somaliland? Is that me in? <laughs> It's like, am I just an absolute arsehole? Yes. There is is a bad boy running uh, podcast in Somaliland where they are talking right now about (laughs) this. (laughs) They just said they've listened to the episode where you talk about winning Somaliland and they're having the exact same, literally tens of years of history of Somaliland. (laughs) Weeks of history. (laughs) Weeks of history of Somaliland. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really interesting how um, and and I, I just wonder what would you know what would happen if 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 the Appalachian Trail or you know something like that is someone who'd never been there before. But surely there's Go. a rule. Surely there's a rule about paces. I, I didn't think you allowed paces on the Bob Graham. Yeah, they all have paces, but my understanding is that Nikki has always navigated herself. Oh, okay. Where, and, and I don't know if there's a, there's probably not a rule on it, but I think Nikki's done that because you know Nikki's Nikki. That's um, and I think all the other previous runners would have navigated themselves as well because they, it, 
I've I've not known of anyone. I know it does happen, but I've not known of anyone who get who's gone up and just done it. You you might you might run it with someone else who's already all already doing it, but part of the, nav, the the Bob going around experience as I understand it is you go there you pace other people so that you get experience of what the route is yeah. you go and navigate it every weekend you're going up there learning a bit a bit more a bit more a bit more so you get to really understand the route and then you take it on yourself so um, he's hacked it he's hacked it yeah he ha- it he's, just seems like he's cheated but, it, but it's so I mean he might have like an official FKT or something but surely he's not re- recognised by that community as yeah, really happens. Yeah, I really think he is. Yeah, and they were saying even on the podcast, that podcast, that you know maybe now it, there's going to be like this this two tiered system of um, this is the record, but this is the local record, and it just seems sad that it has it, that it's come to that. If it, if it does come to that, because it then it, it almost relegates the entire history of running in that area to second division. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know how we meandered into this so, from such a joy. <laughs> I don't understand. But yeah, I don't know. It just felt wrong to me, and it, it kind of linked in. It's something I always wanted to get. I mean, what do what do other do batters think? Have we got any listeners from um, you know from the lakes? Are they all joyous, or, or now that they've kind of sobered up after celebrating a few days? You know, it's what what's the local view on it? Because um, you know, I've got no you know these are my views, but. I'm not from the Lake District. I've never run anything like the Bob Graham rounds. I've got a few friends from there, but I've no real knowledge of the local scene other than what I've read and other people have told me. What would, what would, well, you need to ask a question. Um, what would, uh, was it Richard Asquith? What would he say about this? What would Richard Asquith, um, what, 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 how would he demean us with his view on there? <laughs> how would he demean everyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, great, great episode. And, and do batters, do actually go onto uh, Ricky's website and look at those those two um, those two trips because because you're crowdfunding they, it for us soon. Yeah, <laughs> right. We're going to do a bet if Jody can get it in under twenty five minutes for a two k, he wins the trip, and so do I. So do I. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll, and um, just as an aside, I went and seen my doctor today. Is this um, a joke? No, no, it's not. It's not a joke. I've had, I've had a nightmare of a running day. I was just, do you know when you have a run where we maybe I'll talk about this on the intro for today? But I found out she and she's quality. She's she's a triathlete who's going to the world's age age range age group world championships. And I was talking to her about um, about the Ironman tattoos, and she was laughing hard at that. Um, and she was saying how actually when she goes to the world champs um, or similar, when she went to Ironman, she said she's never been with a group of people where everyone is you know, even two days before wearing completely coordinated kit that is all logoed up, all in yeah. like it's very much everyone look at me. They're all peacocking. Everyone look at me. Everyone ask me about how amazing I am. It's just, yeah. Um, and I, I'm so pleased that she's my doctor, actually, because she's going to be amazing. She'll, under, she'll be able to understand every kind of question I have, every issue I have, and be able to um, help me, hopefully, far more than just a doctor who hasn't got that mindset. But, um, yeah, anyway, anyway. Well, do better. If you liked that episode, listen to um, – who would I recommend? 
Uh, James Appleton. James Appleton, yes. Nick Spinks, both of those talking about the Bob Gray rounds. If you like that as well, I'd recommend listening to the Candice Burr episode. She talks about she's got three different races now that are 200 miles or some of them a little bit over 30 miles over <laughs> a little bit <laughs> over so, um, some epic challenges there or even listen to um, our, our very own Lee Stuart Evans one about the Monarchs Way where he did a 650 mile um, FKT which um, was was conf- as confusing as confusing as we were about the, the notion of FKTs and but, but it was but it was an actual FKT that was the thing that was the thing wasn't it like if you got an FKT whereas the the winner of the Monarch's Way race did not because he didn't <laughs> did not, did not. that's the important yeah. thing yeah <laughs> and um, if there's anyone you want us to interview any stories you hear any races you want us to talk about any questions you have do um, get in the Facebook group tag us in um, to the suggestions or you can write us letters at badboyrunning.com if you've liked this episode please give us a review on itunes wherever you're listening to it it really does help with uh, getting the the podcast out there and thanks for listening cheers see you later bye 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 Fuck you, buddy.